This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. Today, we're going to take a trip back to the Crypto Zoo series. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to mm-hmm. pick, pick back is, up. Yeah. Yeah, our march through, our, our march through the institutions of cryptozoology <laughs> um, by doing an episode about every cryptid. But, you know, yes. like, this is actually kind of like, this is a borderline UFO episode, too, because this cryptid, like, is intimately connected with i mean i guess like bigfoot also and reptoids i guess those kind of like we've conceived of them as being like in the cryptid like world they're like monsters but mothman is a little bit more ufo-y maybe because he is he flies you know so like yeah identified flying objects like i was honestly surprised uh when i went through some of the stuff for this like you're definitely a bigger like moth head than i am uh you're definitely more versed in the lore but i i was not really aware the extent of which there was all this ufo activity around the mothman phenomenon um yeah i always kind of thought of mothman a little more like bigfoot where he's just just buzzing around in the forest and in the woods in west virginia Yeah, he's not even really a moth. That's, like, one of the key things about Mothman is that, like, there's nothing about him that's really, like, you know, it's a great name, but it's, like, incredibly misleading because, like, nothing about how Mothman was ever described, like, has anything to do with moths. He's more like an owl, like, or even a bat. In fact, I think that, like, they were going to call him Batman, but that was, like, too lame, like, because of Batman, you know, so they went with Mothman. Uh, because well, was yeah, this is also the Batman TV show called like the Moth, Killer, Killer Moth. Moth, or something. Which, yeah, which is mm-hmm. kind of uh, interest. This is certain aspects of this were already in the imagination, and Batman was like a very popular TV show when these things started yeah. to happen, which was like 1966 and 67. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, right. I mean, it's, it's definitely uh, good they didn't call it Batman. Uh, that would just be too much, you know. Of Nick course, Pizzolatto will be course. trying to write a movie about him, you know, <laughs> and talking about how he could kill can, God. With um, enough planning, uh, Mothman could yeah. definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, I mean, also, it. I don't know. It seems also like there, there's an inherent cashing in on the popularity of kind of this like superhero kind of comic book 
sort of a thing that was going on at the time and really like branding it i mean i think you're right like mothman is an amazing name it, it's so mm-hmm. bizarre and evocative like what do you mean a a moth man you know but <laughs> i mean it's not even the only insect that is a superhero with man attached to it. i mean you have ant man you have um why am i blanking on the other i mean obviously well, bat- arachnid but that's a bug you know? yeah spider-man um, exactly like spider-man's an arachnid yeah. you know i mean iron man iron's just you know an object just a metal so it's not even sentient uh but that was starting to be uh kind of in the air i I don't know there were there was a lot in the air but i mean i don't know i never got i never dove too deep into the lore on mothman kind of like bigfoot i mean i think this is something that you uh have dialed into for a very long time (laughs) um yeah Um, but the more i look into mothman moth (sighs) experience yeah i mean i guess Uh, like uh not the literally the you first. Know, I know I probably watched some like you know, a spooky documentaries somewhere about Mothman or maybe on the History Channel or something. But it, it always you know it had a particularly um, kind of goofy aspect to it. Even though I guess the things that were happening were like very creepy. And the fact that it happened for like a very finite amount of time in one particular kind of rural region in West Virginia. And then ended after like a gigantic industrial disaster that killed a bunch of people is intriguing, yeah. uh, very mm-hmm. intriguing. Yeah, so and I, I think, think that's, that's why true. Mothman resonates and, um, you know, yeah. persists. Well, I think that a big part of it is like the John Keel book, like the Mothman prophecies, which we're definitely going to sure. spend a lot of time talking about because that mm-hmm. is like the that's like the book that like really made Mothman like as such and like made Mothman explode because they're like you know yeah the evocative name of mothman the idea of mothman like was put front and center where really like even if you read the book like a lot of it like mothman isn't really a big part of that book so much uh he's in it definitely uh but he's not like a huge part of the book um it's Hmm. mostly about like ufo men and black stuff but he played like a huge role in uh mothman like and i think that he really wove you know one way you could think about it like you know uh from like a skeptical pov is that like mothman like people were not like super all about like after the silver bridge collapse like that's like a horrible like tragedy for a community like you know it Mm -hmm. was sort of like a a national concern and like uh you know it it, uh, elevated it to like a national level of concern like it was like a horrifying disaster like so after that like even if people did see like a ufo or did see mothman like you know, they might hmm. be less liable to be like, oh, yeah, like, I saw Mothman, like, call up the cops, you know, and be like, I saw Mothman, you know, like, imagine calling the cops at yeah. 9-11 and being like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I saw Mothman, you know, like... Well, uh, uh, funny you should mention that because uh, there, there are some uh, allegations that people maybe did see a Mothman flying around the Twin Towers <laughs> on that morning in 2001. Uh, well, yeah, I think that that's like an. I watched this documentary a while ago. Actually, I mentioned it in our recent Q and A episode because the uh, the guy I mentioned who wrote the Mothman Prophecies movie, um, you know, he was talking about how you know the one who's like uh, some people are Mozart, some people are Salieri's, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He like uh, he said that the whole idea that like like uh, something you often hear is that Mothman was seen. Uh, b- at Chernobyl, you know, before uh, really? the, like accident that happened there. Yes. But according to that guy, he's like, I made that up. Uh, like, I put that in the hmm. movie, and now people say that as if that's true. Okay, um, okay. You know, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. So I There's think there a lot might of be similar... 
fuzzy Things information. Like yeah. But we did what we did find a few, and I think even John Keel talks about certain Russian incidents that even happened. Oh, well, he's like all in the turn about, of the century. Like yeah, he's all about the prophecies. I mean, that's why the book is called The Mothman Prophecies, is because, like, uh, you know, he's very much... But a lot of the prophecies don't come from Mothman or necessarily have to do with Mothman. Uh, I guess they do in a way, because the presence of Mothman is related to them, but really they're coming from, like, these android beings that he is talking to secondhand through, like, a contactee who is, like, channeling them or, like, maybe, like, interacting with them directly, but then sort of, like, relaying wow. their messages to John Keel without uh, talking to him directly. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned, like, the superhero thing because, yeah, it's, like, kind of... I haven't really thought of it as being, like, related to that sort of comic book. I mean, it definitely has a sort of vibe, although I guess maybe I've just always seen it in a crypto context, but, mm-hmm. or, you know, cryptozoological context. But, yeah, I mean, John Keel did... It's funny because he did, like, sort of uh, write novels and and some plays and he did write like a comic book spoof of superheroes about like a character called like satyr man and it was like some kind of Hmm. like you know uh very raunchy superhero spoof so he did do uh some stuff like that but i mean i guess he didn't really have a role in the naming of mothman it was the newspaper but uh you know he was really embedded in communicating a lot with the town and and uh during that time so yeah it's a yeah i mean interesting uh, angle on it but yeah um yeah, the superhero thing is interesting because he even does kind of look like a number of superheroes, both that predated the arrival of Mothman and came afterwards. Like, I think Night Owl from the original Watchmen looks kind of like, yeah. which I mean, Mothman also gets like, people say maybe it was like a big owl that people saw. Yeah, and, a lot of people uh, blame owls or a Sandhill Crane. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Sandhill Crane. They say. Yeah, he definitely yeah. looks more like an owl than a moth. Uh, you know, I think that a lot, sometimes when people like depict Mothman or imagine him, like the idea that he's a moth, sometimes influences like the way that he's like illustrated or, or yeah. drawn. But like really, he was people when he was first sighted, they would just call him like the bird. You know, like okay. uh, before yeah. they started to adopt Mothman because uh, and the original title of the Mothman prophecies actually was Year of the Garuda, um, oh. which is like uh, some mythical bird in uh, Hindu mythology, Garuda. Um, okay. It's like, uh, yeah, so he was kind of drawing. That's like John Keel's whole bit, kind of like the idea of these ancient uh, mythologies having something to do with these uh, modern day events. And the like, it's kind of the Jacques Vallée thing, which uh, might be good to talk about a little bit. Like, uh, you know, I was doing a little bit of reading of his book, uh, messengers of deception uh for mm-hmm. this uh um mm. which has a lot of a, a juicy stuff there about like these ufo cults and, and things like that but uh it's they kind of have the same bit in a way where uh it's about sort of contextualizing the ufo phenomenon that was being witnessed at the time in the 60s in uh you know w- with these sort of uh, experiences of, of spirit beings or of uh you know supernatural or uh you know uh, paranormal entities in uh you know, uh, historical accounts or in, in sort of pre-modern or, or early modern contexts. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, like uh, things like Spring Heel Jack, you know, uh, that's like kind of, uh, that's the sort of Fortiana that's on the, um, you know, uh, on the on the line between the the sort of Mothman of modernity and like the, the devil sightings and things like that uh, of, of pre-modernity, you know, or the uh, demonic or spiritual experiences of, of pre-modernity. Yeah, Spring Hill Jack is something that comes up, I think. And the Mothman prophecies and, is sort of a and similar. And what issue. what is Spring Hill yeah. Jack? 
Spring Hill Jack is like uh in the Victorian era, there was some, like, weird dude scene who was, like, uh, you know, uh, he had, like, flaming red eyes, uh, and he mm-hmm. had, like, this weird suit on, um, and he was kind of demonic looking, um, and the biggest thing that he was known for was, like, jumping really high, uh, like, cause that's why he was called Spring Hill Jack, because he, like, jumped really high, uh, mm-hmm. and, like, he would just, like, kind of cause mischief and jump, uh, and it's, uh, I think he attacked a couple of people, but... It was, like, one of those weird things, like, similar to, like, Mothman, where, like, a community was, like, beset by this weird entity uh, that, like, just Hmm. uh, behaved oddly. There was even, like, an account in the Mothman prophecies where there's, like, some dude, like, just in a cape, uh, like, a silver cape that is, like, seen jumping around, Um, (laughs) which is something that's, yeah, it's something that comes through a lot in the book is just how absurd, like, some of the UFO encounters are, like, which is another, I think, big theme that's also in Jacques Vallée, the idea that some, like, you know... uh, it's not, like, in this really tiny box that people put the UFO stuff a lot of the time now of, like, oh, there's greys, you know, they, like, or, uh, there's, like, these races, the Draco, uh, the mm-hmm. Palladians, or the, you know, it's, uh, really, uh, all over the place, um, and the, uh, uh there's an element of absurdity in a lot of it, um, yeah. it doesn't necessarily follow any kind of, like, uh, you know, schema that, uh, you could think of, but there's no real, like, norm like normative uh 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 encounter or sighting um, yeah there's definitely there's like no stable taxonomies for basically kind of like categorizing experience no matter what like dr stephen greer says and like it's it's just all ce5 and don't worry about it yeah you know uh there's really yeah yeah there's a lot of un the uncertainty and fuzziness around uh, the types of experiences people have, and they vary kind of wildly and not in any kind of discernible pattern, usually. Yeah. I mean, unless I mean, you're talking about certain contactee groups that just always seem to like make contact with like 12 foot tall Nordic, like Aryan aliens that, you know, and tell them white people have like a spark of divine alien DNA in them. And like, uh, I'm thinking of the nine in particular, but, uh, uh you know, yeah. where, where well, you see a kind of like a projection of a certain, uh, I don't know, worldview or ideology onto the message. It's almost like you're kind of blue beaming yourself in a way. Yeah, well, the thing about this is that, like, there's also just a bunch of people who are, like, lying or psyoping mm-hmm. themselves or, like, are, yeah. like, unwell, uh, you know, that are in this <laughs> yeah. world, especially, like, in the world of, this is something that also comes through in the Mothman Prophecies, which is, like, you know, the uh, preeminent account of, like, you know, the standard account of, uh, or record of the Mothman events, uh, even though it's very much colored by John Keel's kind of style and his approach to these things. Uh, you know, it really comes through that, like, the world of ufology is, like, really mired in, like, uh, a lot of, like, drama and, like, uh, you know, the activities of people who are, like, hoaxing for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's really paranoid. Like, there are perhaps, like, some things going on where there's, like, attempts to sabotage, like, their work by, uh, you know, powerful groups or shadowy agencies. MIBs. Uh, and then there's, like, people who are, like, pretending to be... Yeah, exactly. There's, like, the MIBs. Then there's, like... Uh, this is an interesting thing about the MIBs. I, like, uh, well, I think we should definitely read some of the MIB stories. But yeah. basically, like, you know, I don't know. People probably who are re- listening to the podcast will probably know, like, that an MIB is... I guess they're kind of, uh, you know, on the line. Like, people uh, haven't reacted to them both ways. But the MIBs aren't just, like, 
you know, your normal dude, like, or, uh, it doesn't seem a, like a normal, fit, like, not a, just a normal he's, fed. He's not the, like the, agent J or agent K basically, uh, you know, at all. Like they're like a weird, like, uh, uh, there, John there's something vaguely like, in, inhuman yeah. about them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Don't, uh, yeah, aren't, aren't there accounts of like, they're, they're kind of like wires, like sticking out of like, they're, they're kind of like yeah, their pant legs one, and stuff like that. Yeah, one story in the Mothman Prophecy is, like, has this one guy, like, come to the house, and, like, he's, like, and they're, like, would you like anything to eat? And he is, like, no, thank you. However, I would like a glass of water in ten minutes. And then he just starts going, like, <laughs> like, you know, uh, and he's, like, I would like that glass of water now. And, like, they notice that he has, like, this fucking wire sticking out of his pant oh leg. Uh, and it's, like, what? Uh, yeah. yeah, it's very... Yeah, really uh, creepy. Yeah, but, like, uh, you know, to uh, sort of go off of that, like, one thing that I did hear, like, proposed um, on, uh, you know, uh, johnkeel.com, which is the website of some dude who, like, uh, is a is a John Keel archivist uh, who has, like, mm-hmm. a lot of his papers, including a lot of his, like, drafts of stories for the Mothman prophecies and uh, his personal correspondences and things like that. Uh, he uh, sort of talked about this one dude who... Uh, was let me see if I can actually find the uh the the thing um like uh yeah were some MIBs troubled uh ufologists uh let me see if I can yeah uh he says were some men in black troubled ufologists um so uh hmm, interesting this guy's name is deleted yeah but uh uh so this is a transcription of a letter that uh John Keel wrote um. Uh, the name of the person concerned is deleted because, like, you know, the author uh, took his name, or redacted his name, or sorry, not the author, but the the archivist, the guy who collects these papers, um, you know, works in John Keel's archives, you know, he, uh, like, uh, took out the name just because he felt like this guy, you know, is probably unwell, and it's, like, not constructed to name him, so uh, he says, uh, John Keel goes, Tiny, I am now seriously perturbed. Tiny was a name that was given for like one of the MIBs in the Mothman Prophecies. But anyway, he says, mm-hmm. I am now seriously perturbed. In November, I received a letter from, name redacted, who announced that he was flying over to England to do research in the British Museum, checking in a manuscript about vampires, uh, name redacted, mm-hmm. who was forever was bellyaching about being too hard up to even pay, for, uh, pay a sub for FSR. Uh, he rang me on arrival. I collected him at West Byfleet Station on Saturday, December 10th. I discovered him to be a huge young man, at a guess 240 pounds, and about 6 feet 3 inches, fair-haired, very thin on top, wore a check shirt and ducks, riding high above his ankles, thick-soled shoes. He had a shabby overcoat and sported a Russian-style fur hat. His speech was a monotonous, emotionless, expressionless, mechanical, one-pitch perpetual motion. He often broke into poetry by Milton and Edgar Allan Poe, reciting it as though he had learned it computer fashion. He drank the best part of a bottle of my martini and got himself well sloshed and ranted on about poor misunderstood Hitler, etc., etc. Okay, <laughs> see, see what I mean. <laughs> they might do a cobra, express a feeling of repugnance. I thought he was a schizo. On the Sunday just before lunch, he said, and may I look at your FSR files? I declined, uh, lying that they were at the office. After lunch, he upped and went. I saw him off and had one short letter since. He flew back to DeKalb, Illinois, uh, after only two or three days there. What do you make of that? You know, so uh, this is something that, uh, I guess actually this isn't a John Keel letter. It's a Charles, it was by Charles Bowen who wrote, uh, who published that mm-hmm. book, The Humanoids. I guess he wrote this uh, to uh, John Keel. 
and John Keel had mm-hmm. sent him the sort of story. But anyway, like, uh, so uh, this is the addendum written by uh, the guy who wrote this post. The original title mm-hmm. of this post were was, Were Some Men in Black Ufologists with Asperger's? I call it that because <laughs> the man I interviewed about Bowen's visitor described him as having Asperger's. But I received some angry responses from readers with Asperger's, objecting to what they saw as a stereotype, so I've changed the title. My interest was not in a diagnosis anyway, but in the evidence that there may be an identification for a classic MIB case. Charles Bowen certainly thought so. So if I offended anyone with Asperger's, I apologize. I didn't mean to imply that the man in question is typical. He may indeed be somewhere on the autism spectrum, but clearly he has a number of other problems. So mm. not to say that, like, you know, there aren't genuine, like, MIB encounters or things like that, but it just, like, adds to the, the shiffiness and, like, the muddiness that, like, this was also, like, during the Mothman time, like, with John Keel and everyone else there, it was, like, a, uh, you know, a hub for both, like, hoaxers and pranksters and also people who were just weird and who people yeah. like in West Virginia and point points in West Virginia, like this rural kind of community, like in Appalachia probably uh-huh. like didn't have much experience with these like UFO types. So like some dude coming in who's like, you know, uh, on the spectrum and being like, mm-hmm. have you seen any objects? You know, like, uh, <laughs> like you can kind of uh, see that, 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 uh, probably everybody seems a little weird to them coming from outside. And yeah. That, like, you know, uh, I could see could... like, if I went to someone's house, like, especially like, you know, uh, depending like, you know, uh, yeah. Like, uh, dressing is like, sometimes people dress eccentrically, you know, John Keel mentions how, there's a story at the beginning of his book where he talks about this story about how, like, the devil is visiting Point Pleasant or something like that. You know, like, the devil mm. was sighted in Point Pleasant. And it was, like, this, you know, tall man with a beard and, like, a, a suit, you know, uh, banging on doors uh, and uh, things like that, you know, in the, in the community. And how everyone, you know, always remembers the, this as being the day that, like, the devil visited, you know. But actually, mm. it was... Um, him uh running around like because like uh his car broke down or something um and Mm. he was like looking for to use someone's phone uh and uh that was like remembered in the community according to him as being like a visitation by the devil wow but uh you know so like you can see how like i can imagine like being mistaken like for an mib like in a certain situation like you know yeah i'm also i like uh don't make eye contact uh you know yeah yeah um uh have a yeah an icy manner an icy distant manner and seem like you're up to something and also i'm i i would also wonder i mean that that line of thinking made me think about like what if some people went there and deliberately impersonated being that definitely almost did happen that it's almost certain that that did happen because there are certain people like uh gray uh baker uh Mm -hmm. who like were or gray barker that is who were like known to be like huge hoax like hoaxers and like to sort of make prank phone calls and rile people up and things like that i don't know if they went around like deliberately trying to act like mib although that's also possible like it's possible that either people who are in the ufological community who are like trying to just gin up publicity or just like had like a you know a, a devious mind or whatever um mm-hmm. they like were wanting to do it but maybe also like uh people who actually were interested in the phenomena or for whatever reason would just to kind of color their uh appearance or to sort of throw people off might yeah. act strangely or you know uh behave like mib well, or have, also like, you know how 
how how exactly uh, is one you know supposed to prove that they're MIB? It's kind of part. It comes along with the package, right? It's like they're not a federal uh, law enforcement officer who whips out a badge and identifies themselves. Like by definition, they're shifty and don't tell you who they are and are very kind yeah. of threatening and mysterious. So if you were going to impersonate somebody like that, it actually might even be legal to do that because like if you think about it it's an interesting legal loophole because it is technically probably like a felony to impersonate a police officer or an fbi agent right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so like you know you'd run a risk there but uh if you go there and you just kind of imply that you're like a shady government agent and say like oh i can't i can't you know i can't tell you that ma'am you know Uh, then you're not really saying it, but obviously you're going to look like you're dressing up a certain type of way. And then on top of that, like, what if you did want to fuck with people? You just put like a wire down your pants and like let it stick out and act really bizarre and freak people out. Maybe it throws them off. You know, it makes them feel like they've had this like there's a spooky agency watching them. Also, we have to consider like uh, what if they are government agents, but they're doing it to fuck with people and psyop people basically by sending in yeah. kind of operatives that whatever was going on there because there's a lot of th- there are a lot of threads of the whole mothman story that you know postulate much much like with a lot of other ufo stuff like was this kind of some kind of secret government operation was, was there kind of secret government operation going on of some kind that was mistaken for being a mothman and then they sent in yeah. people to kind of stir up, like, like just like Richard Doty, just like, like stir, you know, shit code everything, confuse people, make people sussed out, make them feel like they're being watched, and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, uh, of course, the, the, the question of, like, what could it have been if it wasn't Mothman? <laughs> Uh, and um, al- also all the UFOs that came along with it during this exact same period that, you know, mm-hmm. as we've gone into before, like there's a uh, there's a possibility that was some kind of classified like military hardware or experimental technology that they were uh, fucking around with, like out in the wilderness, uh, basically. And I don't know. I mean, it could be a lot of yeah. things, but we I have mean, to, you have to, uh, you have to yeah, juggle all those things something. when you're thinking about MIB and like, yeah, who the hell are these that's people? Definitely something that people have uh, suggested that like, cause the Mothman, like where it was originally cited was like the TNT area, which is yeah. like this sort of, uh, you know, weird wildlife area around Point Pleasant. Uh, well, at the time of the Mothman stuff, what happened like, you know, around uh, yeah, it was a decommissioned was ammunition like storage facility where they had built these yeah. like kind of igloo bunkers, uh, mm-hmm. these kind of camouflage everywhere. igloo bunkers everywhere all around this area and stored it with ammo. And then I guess they, they found out they've maybe they found out after I don't know if it was before or after Mothman <laughs> where they found out that like, you know, uh, basically like the groundwater had been kind of poisoned by uh, a lot of these musician munitions. Yes, uh, they did discover that. Yes. Yeah, so, and then they turned it into, like, a nature reserve, so it's kind of like this spooky, abandoned military facility kind of area, um, and yeah. and there's also, some people have pointed out, I don't know if, like, um, John Keel really got into it, but apparently there's also, like, a defense logistics agency center that still is in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which is, you know, mm-hmm. the... The nexus of Mothman activity. I don't know exactly. I would imagine that's a 
branch of the Pentagon that uh, basically handles uh, strategic materials, I guess. Uh, uh, you know, so maybe ammunition, munitions, things like that. Uh, but, you know, there's all kinds of things, even with like MK Ultra, that maybe there was like classified military installations out there that were doing some weird shit. And then, I don't know, like a Cause Mothman. Um, but uh, there, there's that military yeah. connection that runs through it, right? Yeah, a lot of people have suggested that, like, yeah, like, it's weird because, like, what they were doing wasn't really, like, something that you'd think would make, like, a, you know, or at least that we know of. It's not yeah. something that would make you think, like, there was, like, a mutant or whatever. Like, you know, that some, like, owl, like, drank from, like, a pool of, like, radioactive waste. Like, it was mostly, like, mm -hmm. like you said, like, ordnance, you know, or, like, munitions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it did, like, contaminate, like, the environment, but it wasn't, like, mutagenic. or so It wasn't, like, the ooze from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something that they had. <laughs> that we know of, at least. Uh, that we you know, know of. Like, uh, yeah, and, uh, I mean... There could be, like, they could have maybe repurposed that stuff for, like, uh, other things. And, you know, the, in some of this Morthman stuff and some of the sort of uh, weird encounters people have with, like, MIBs or, or entities, there is, like, a suggestion of, uh, like, uh, yeah, maybe, like, uh, since I think it would be good to read, like, some Mothman-like uh, tales, uh, courtesy of John Keel. You know, this sure. uh, might be a good one to start with because it gets into one of our... Uh, you know uh favorite subjects of like uh t tunnels uh underground mm -hmm. uh stuff um yeah so uh john Keel writes um in order to cover my actual activities over the christmas holidays this is uh december 27 67 so i hinted to a number of people by phone that i might be returning to point pleasant west virginia on friday december 22nd 1967 a stranger entered the branch of the office of the athens ohio messenger in point pleasant and approached my friend, Miss Mary Heyer. That was, like, someone who worked at the, you know, the newspaper who often corresponded with John Keel and is mentioned a lot in the book. Mm -hmm. He identified himself as Jack Brown from Cambridge, Ohio, and said that he was a friend of Gray Barker's and had been investigating UFOs as a hobby for two years. Uh, Mary was very busy, but permitted him to examine her files of UFO clippings. He told her that he did not believe that Mothman was connected with the UFO phenomenon, and he asked a number of questions about me. He said some derogatory things about me, remarking that I was writing a lot of things that weren't true. Somehow he extracted Connie's name and address from Mary. He also got the McDaniel's phone number from her and called them. These are some of his contacts, you know, in the town. They said that they mm -hmm. couldn't see him that night. Linda was just coming home with her baby, which was born December, uh, December 20th. Uh, Jack Brown drove up to Middleport and visited Connie that night. Connie and her husband were reportedly very frightened by this. The next night, Brown visited the McDaniel's for about five hours. Mabel described him as being about 5'7", very slight build, very dark complexion with black piercing eyes and unruly black hair, as if he had a brush out and it was just growing back in. His hands were very unusual with especially long, tapering fingers. He looked like a Korean or Oriental of some kind, Mabel said. His speech was faltering, his English very poor and difficult to understand. He was dressed in a cheap-looking black suit and his tie was knotted in an odd, old-fashioned way. He was driving a large white car with a bad muffler, a bad muffler. Uh, this is typewritten, so some little, uh, you mm -hmm. know, smudges here. It made a lot of noise. He carried a very large tape recorder, which he set up on the bar in the McDaniel kitchen. He turned it on and off during the course of the evening. He did not seem to know anything about UFOs and showed no interest whatsoever in the Moth Man. But he did <laughs> uh, tell the McDaniels that he thought Moth Man was connected with UFOs. Many friends and neighbors dropped by throughout the evening to look at the new baby, but Brown never once expressed any interest in the child, not even polite interest. Incidentally, the baby was named Daniela Leah Scarberry, apparently because Linda simply liked those names. 
another remarkable coincidence. I've never mentioned any names like uh, to them like that. Leah was one of the entities that he dealt with, so uh, mm, that's why he finds that uh, so remarkable. Yeah, Brown professed to be great friends with Gray Barker and expressed a high regard for him, but he obviously did not like anything I had written and expressed contempt for me repeatedly. At one point, he said he d- did not know me, uh, but later on, uh, he contradicted himself and claimed that he did know me. He acted very vague and detached. His questions lacked intelligence, and his knowledge of the UFO subject was very skimpy. He seemed primarily interested in me and my relationship with Mary. Uh, they didn't, like, have, like, an actual relation. You know, they were just friends. But uh, mm-hmm. when Tom Connolly arrived for a visit, uh, he shook hands in a strange way, extending his thumb uh, and two forefingers for a hand clasp. Later, a reporter from the Columbus, Ohio dispatch arrived. Cambridge is just outside of Columbus. It quickly became apparent that Brown had never heard of the dispatch and, in fact, did not know where Cambridge was. Brown's general demeanor made everyone uncomfortable. His inability to converse intelligently and his piercing gaze, almost hypnotic, Mabel said, bothered everyone. The McDaniels tried to be polite to him, as always, but were annoyed by his fixation with me and Mary and his amateurish efforts to pump them about us. Mabel estimated that he was under 30, maybe about 25. He finally departed about 11 p.m. that night after a rather aimless and fruitless attempt at interviewing them. He was obviously far more interested in me than he was in UFOs. He wanted to know how many times I'd been in Point Pleasant this year, how long I had stayed, etc. He expressed surprise that I had not gone running back there after the bridge collapsed. Perhaps he expected to find me there. Spoke to Gray Barker after talking to Mabel, and he denied knowing anyone of, Cam- anyone of Cambridge, Ohio, and said he had never heard of Jack Brown. Spoke to Mary. She said that two short, dark-skinned men had come into her office earlier on Friday. They said they were reporters and had heard that Point Pleasant was the site of much UFO activity. She was very busy, but she let them look through her UFO file. They seemed uninterested in it. They asked her if anyone had ever told her to stop writing about UFOs. She said no. They then asked her what she would do if someone did tell her to stop writing on the subject. She said she would tell them to go to hell and would keep Mm -hmm. on writing. The men never produced any identification. They wore dark overcoats. (laughs) Later that same day, Jack Brown appeared. He was not wearing any overcoat, despite the bitter cold. Mary remarked on his dark, piercing eyes and said she noticed that he would only speak when she was looking directly at him. She was working at the teletype at the time and did not spend much time with him. He said he was Jack Brown and he was researching UFOs. Mary asked if he had ever heard of John Keel and he said he had thought the world of Keel until 10 minutes before when he picked up a magazine in which I claimed to have seen UFOs probably the true one shot uh this angered mary and she pointed out that he she had been with me many times when i had seen things and that she had seen the same things after he had visited connie connie called mary very upset there was something about brown that had disturbed her very much connie's brother larry was equally upset and mentioned that there was sorry changing pages Mm -hmm. here something funny about the man's ears mary thought this over and decided there was something funny about his ears but she couldn't remember what Brown also asked Connie and Keith, her husband, if they thought anyone had told Mary to stop writing about UFOs and what she would do if she were told. He also asked Mary these questions, just as the two men had done earlier. He repeated these questions to the McDaniels. Mary noted that his skin didn't seem right. It seemed as if he had only uh, a layer of skin, or maybe only one layer? I don't know. Maybe it's thin? Uh, okay. At the McDaniels, the man acted out of place, as if he didn't know what he was doing. He acted as if he had never interviewed anybody before and didn't quite know how to go about it. He asked Mary if she would take him out to the areas where UFOs had been sighted, and she refused. He later told the McDaniels that he had spent a lot of time around the desolate TNT area in the past couple of days, but hadn't seen anything. He tended to express disbelief in the UFO phenomenon generally. Jack Brown's behavior is quite similar to Tiny in the Cape May incident. 
That's the water, glass of water uh, wire out of his leg guy. His general mm-hmm. demeanor appearance has been described repeatedly in other cases in this file. The conclusion is obvious. Brown also asked Mary if she thought UFOs had anything to do with the collapse of the bridge. She denied this emphatically, as I had instructed her to do. He said Barker had told him that a strange light had been seen over the bridge just before it crumpled into the river. Barker had, in fact, called me the night of the disaster and told me that he had heard a radio interview in which a witness mentioned seeing a flash of light just before the bridge went. Later, it became clear that there was a flash when power cables over the bridge snapped at the time of the collapse. Another source, uh, and it's in parentheses, this is Apple, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, Apple is an entity, uh, like okay. an alien being, okay. uh, recently told me, uh, which is being uh, channeled through this uh, person, Jay Paro, um, it, uh, that's her alias, told me of a rumor that a gray Pontiac was crossing the bridge at that time. The driver was allegedly an Air Force officer on his way to Dayton, Ohio, with a briefcase donating documents in the December 24th affair. This briefcase was supposed to have hand- been handcuffed to his wrist with a chain. Thus far, no such car or occupant has turned up in the salvaging operations there. The rumor is probably static. Mary Heyer called me last night. She had talked to her sister, Faye Carpenter, who was present when Jack Brown visited Connie. Faye was rather perplexed and upset over the incident because she cannot remember anything of the conversation after Brown arrived. According to Faye, Connie noticed the man's car drive up and she reacted violently to it. She told her mother, don't let that man in here, I don't like his looks. Faye absolutely cannot remember any of the details of this visit. She says it is like she had been put in some kind of trance. Since Brown's visit, there has been a series of poltergeist-like accidents in Faye's house in Middleport. Pictures have fallen off the wall, dishes have fallen off the shelves, etc. Mary remembered other details of her brief conversation with Brown. She said he asked if uh, her if John Keel knew about the caves under Point Pleasant. Brown told mm-hmm. everything, uh, he, or I guess maybe everyone, he would be back in two weeks, but he has not turned up again. Uh, yeah, uh, and there's a special note that he was in shirt sleeves when he visited Faye. He did not seem bothered by the extreme cold. Uh, right, so, sleeves. like, there's a million different mm-hmm. ways that one could read, like, that stuff. Um, like, uh, every single, like, detail could be, like, taken in a million different ways, depending on, like, how one interprets it. Like, that could be, like, an E.T., uh, uh-huh. or, like, you know, an, an ultra-terrestrial or an interdimensional being, like, a, an aspect of the phenomenon that Mothman is broadly part of that could be like some CIA guy or something like some kind of, uh, they said he was, he was, he was like East Asian, but his name was, he seemed Oriental or Korean. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he also said he seemed like he had one layer of skin, you know? Yeah. Um, but who Uh, knows? Like, you know, like some of the stuff they said about him, like, you know, yeah, you could take it like multiple different ways. Like you know, he might've been just, eccentric or a weirdo you know and he also mentioned gray barker a million times who like we know is like kind of like a hoaxer who definitely hoaxed people in the past uh and definitely had an acrimonious relationship with john keel um yeah so i'm curious about john keel himself and basically how how like when did he get involved with mothman because Mothman happened in 1966 and 67. Was he yeah. kind of there on the ground while it was happening? He or was. did he kind he of show up afterwards? He was like, while it was happening. He was there okay. on the ground while it was happening. Uh, certainly before the bridge. And he was really okay. wrapped up in it. Uh, and, like, you know, it was interesting because he actually was trying to be, like, a TV writer. Like, he wrote for, like, game shows and stuff. Uh, huh. You know, so he was he wore many hats. But, then, and he, but he always was interested in, like, Fortiana and UFO stuff. Uh, and so he kind of tried to transition to doing this, like, you know, he got really wrapped up in, in the Mothman stuff. 
and he really, you know, uh, people have said, like, that he made stuff up, which he did do. Like, you know, he, like, uh, changed names, like, he attributed things that happened to one person to multiple different people and things like that. Like, we know that stuff okay. didn't happen. Like, uh, you know, and he definitely has his own take that, like, supervenes on things. Like, you know, when he says, like, the conclusion is obvious. Like, I feel like he when he says the conclusion is obvious, like, I don't actually really know, like, I, I don't find the conclusion to be obvious at all, but to him, it obviously is. Uh, probably that it uh-huh. was, like, an, an MIB, you know, like, uh, or, you know, some kind of, like, Android or something, well, you know, like, uh, yeah, MIB, yeah, but also, MIB like, what is, was, was that? you know, what was, like, that, what uh, was, what was Jack Brown's interest in Mothman specifically, because he was very into UFOs, but was he a Mothman enthusiast was he a mothman uh no oh, i mean uh, was he a mothman enthusiast like i mean, mean was jack he jack keel or do you mean jack yeah. brown or john keel the jack brown like jack you, brown jack brown uh he seemed to like be dismissive of mothman but the thing about mothman like you know it was like a saucer thing like there were always <sighs> yeah. ufo sightings going on so like again like mothman and the like phenomenon of the mothman was tied to like the ufo sightings and like the other beings and the mibs that were being seen like yeah it was, yeah like, p- the way that people well, understood mothman like had to do with that he mentioned it multiple times and was like yeah okay yeah like uh, kind of contradicting himself around it but yeah like uh in terms of like uh maybe to give some more context like uh yeah like, can we, I, I think like, beliefs, the, well yeah, yeah his beliefs and also just like what maybe we can just go over real quickly like the the core of like what actually happened in 1966 and 67 that drew all these people in like like uh yeah well let's uh maybe let's read something from the mothman prophecies like you know because these are the stories that these are the elemental mothman stories okay the stories of, of people that that saw the mothman during this era i guess uh who were the first uh yeah. roger and linda scarberry and Stephen mary mallet uh, in November 15th, 1966. First. Yeah, it was Mary Mallet, right. Yeah, this is what uh, John Keel has to say about that. Uh, you know, he's trying to... First, he sets up the TNT area and talks about, you know, what we're talking about, you know, uh, while it re- witnessed many biological events over the years, it had no reputation as a haunted place. The local police cruised through it every evening, occasionally flashing their lights into a darkened car. Everyone raised in the area knows every corner of the place. Sportsmen clubs built an archery range and a picnic area there. At 11.30 p.m. on the night of November 15, 1966, two young couples from Point Pleasant, Mr. and Mrs. Roger Scarberry and Mr. and Mrs. Steve Mallet, were driving to the TNT area in the Scarberry's 1957 Chevy. They were looking for friends, but no one seemed to be out that night. All the twisting back roads were deserted. The few homes scattered among the igloos were dark. Roger, then a strapping blonde 18-year-old, was driving. They aimlessly made the circuit of the roads around the igloos, returning to the old generator plant near the unlocked gate. As they pulled alongside the plant, Linda Scarberry gasped. They all looked into the blackness and saw two bright red circles. They were about two inches in diameter and six inches apart. Roger slammed in his brakes. What is it, Mary Mallet, a strikingly attractive brunette? I love, like, this is like John Keel stuff. Like, you gotta mm-hmm. talk about how he's strikingly attractive. Uh, <laughs> cry from the back seat. The lights bobbed away from the building and the startled foursome saw that they were attached to some huge animal. It was shaped like a man, but bigger, Roger said maybe six and a half or seven feet tall. It had big wings folded against its back. But it was those eyes that got us, Linda declared. It had two big eyes like automobile reflectors. They were hypnotic, Roger continued. For a minute, we could only stare at it. I couldn't take my eyes off it. 
It was grayish in color and walked on sturdy man-like legs. It turned slowly and shuffled toward the door of the generator plant, which was ajar and hanging off its hinges. Let's get out of here, Steve yelled. Roger stepped on the gas and they shot through the gates and spun onto the exit road and headed for Route 62. Suddenly they saw it, or another one like it, standing on a small hill near the road. As they hurtled past it, it spread its bat-like wings and took off uh, straight up into the air. My God, it's following us, the couple in the backseat cried. <laughs> Roger swung onto 62 on two wheels. They were doing 100 miles per hour, uh, Roger said. I'm oh, sorry, we were doing 100 miles an hour, Roger said. And that bird kept right up with us. It wasn't even flapping its wings. I could hear it making a sound, Mrs. Mallet added. It squeaked like a big mouse. It followed us right to the city limits, Roger went on. Funny thing, we noticed a dead dog by the side of the road there. A big dog. When we came back a few minutes later, the dog was gone. Oh Panic-stricken, the red eyes still burning in their minds, they went directly to the Mason County Courthouse, charged into the sheriff's office, and boarded out their story to Deputy Millard Halstead. I've known these kids all their lives, Halstead told me later. They'd never been in any trouble, and they were really scared that night. I took them seriously. He hopped into a patrol car and followed Roger's car back to the TNT area. At the edge of town, they looked for the dog's body. It was gone. Back at the power plant, there was no sign of the red-eyed specter. Halstead switched on his police radio and a very loud signal blasted out of the speaker, drowning out the voice of the police dispatcher in Point Pleasant. It was a loud garble, like a record or tape recording being played at very high speed. Deputy Halstead, an experienced cop, looked taken aback but said nothing. He switched the radio off quickly and peered uncomfortably into the darkness, reluctant to really search the old building. But he was convinced. Uh, you know, the next morning, um, Sheriff George Johnson called a press conference, you know, Miss mm-hmm. uh, Mary hires in the story out on the AP wire that evening. Uh, and the bird was a chief topic at supper tables at the uh, Ohio Valley. This is the Mothman thing. Some anonymous copy editor gave it a name spun off from the Batman comic character who was in the subject of a popular TV series. He tagged the creature Mothman. Mm. Uh, so there you go. Your prototypical right Mothman tale, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I find it. So he, so the, the, the sheriff turned on the radio and there was like a cacophonous interference happening and he's had to switch it off. Uh, yes. He's switching on his police radio and like, like there's just, out of it. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to throw out, uh, right. Uh, uh, it might refer back to this a couple times, but it sounds very, uh, operation wandering soul. Mm hmm. Uh, perhaps like you know, radio interference, uh, spooking people out with audio. This is in nineteen six. This is near the end of nineteen sixty six. So just as the Vietnam War is escalating, Mothman appears. Yes. Which uh, and okay, so yeah, I'm just uh, putting putting a note on that. Um, so that's like that was the first big uh sighting, and then there were like a flurry of sightings in the days after that right yeah there were a number of them yeah like uh some other dude uh like uh bennett i think uh dude or was it a woman um like uh yeah it was uh uh mr and mrs raymond lamsley and mrs marcella bennett and her baby daughter tina they saw mothman and uh, it wasn't an airplane. We couldn't figure out what it was, Mrs. Bennett said. She and the Lamsies were probably the only people in the crowd who were not looking for the red-eyed creature. They were on their way to visit the Ralph Thomases, who lived in a neat bungalow back among the igloos. Uh, those are those, you know, bunkers we mentioned. Uh, Mr. Thomas was a superintendent of the Trojan U.S. operations there. His wife, Virginia, was a slender gentlewoman blessed or cursed with second sight. She had accurately predicted numerous accidents and local events over the years. She was careful to seek attention, and only her friends knew of her remarkable abilities. Deeply religious, she went to church almost every evening, and on this night, both she and her husband were out. 
the Lamsleys and Mrs. Bennett and, uh, found only three of the Thomas children, Ricky, Connie, and Vicky, at home. After exchanging a few words with the youngsters, they headed back to their car. Off in the distance, they could hear some trigger-happy hero firing a rifle around the power plant. <laughs> Suddenly, a figure stirred in the darkness behind the parked car. It seemed as if it had been lying down, Mrs. Bennett told me. It rose up slowly from the ground, a big gray thing, bigger than a man with terrible glowing red eyes. Mrs. Bennett uttered a little cry, so horrified she dropped the small baby in her arms. The child began to cry, more insulted than hurt, I hope, but her mother couldn't move to pick her up again. She stood transfixed, hypnotized by the blazing red circles on top of the towering, headless creature. Its great wings unfolded slowly behind its back. Raymond Wamsley grabbed the paralyzed woman and the child, and they all ran back into the house, slammed the door, and bolted it. There was a sound on the porch, and the two red eyes peered in through a window. The woman and children became hysterical while Wamsley frantically phoned the police. It was 9 p.m. Hundreds of people, many of them armed to the teeth, were less than a mile away and would not know about the episode until they read it in the local papers the following evening. So, some wow. unlikely stuff. Uh, yeah, so just the yeah. those eyes, it all seems to focus on the eyes and yeah the eyes are a big they, deal for sure they have some kind of like yeah. highly traumatic hypnotic traumatic uh and really engrossing effect uh yeah uh they're often described as hypnotic just like uh you know the eyes of mibs are described as being similar effect or you know uh the lights of ufos in general are often uh described as that yeah um yeah, yeah. firemen saw it uh and they said it was definitely a bird but it was huge. We'd never seen anything like it. Uh, so, hmm. you know, uh, the idea that it was a moth uh, <laughs> is definitely not, like, uh, you know, something that is 100% consistent with what everyone says. He was he was much more bat-like or bird-like than moth-like, uh, what people yes. saw. Yes, yeah. He was really um, more like a bird man to, to go with Hollywood again. Kind of a, a literally made a movie. Yeah, he was yeah, more like bird a bird man. man. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but Mothman, like a, it does capture... It just captures something so off about... Yeah. Uh, it, it's creepier. A, a man-sized moth is, I think, inherently more bizarre and terrifying than a, a man-sized bird. Yeah, for sure, of course. Uh, because birds do get pretty big. I mean, ostriches are man-sized birds. You wouldn't want to see yeah. a man-sized moth uh, at no, all. No, um, no. Or, uh, yeah, uh, insects, I think... Yeah, or a man-sized uh, cockroach, a man-sized spider, like, none of it. No. Although, no <laughs> although there is something <laughs> iconic about, like, the silhouette of Mothman, you know, which I guess, you know, moths, they kind of have, like, they don't really have a distinct head. They sort of do, but I guess it is kind of moth They don't really have a neck. more owly. Yeah, they don't really yeah. have a neck, kind of like owls, too. They don't have a neck. This is uh, one of the takes on what Mothman was that I guess John Keel uh, sort of believed in. So another thing about the Mothman prophecies is that... So, okay, I'm just going to come out and say that I uh, saw when I was looking around, you know, I, I Googled something like uh, Mothman, like MK Ultra or something, you know, to try to yes. find uh, something about the MK angle. First mm -hmm. thing that comes up is a tweet from a uh, big influencer, uh, mm. Matt Christman. Oh, um, okay. uh, right. who, uh, so he uh, shared an article, uh, I guess, about um, a sort of uh, outbreak of like uh, hallucinations that happened in a French town. Um, yeah. that would previously been attributed to, or, you know, I guess really is still attributed by most people to, They spiked like, the uh, water with LSD. Poisoning. That was the claim right. that one okay, guy that made. I almost don't believe that that necessarily is true, but, like, that is more tenably true than Matt Christman's take, because what he said was, 
So based on this thing, uh, the Pont Saint Esprit uh, poisoning, you know, there's mm-hmm. some dude who came out and said like this case of like air gut poisoning, uh, you know, that was really the CIA spiking the the bread with LSD or something, you know. Mm. But uh, that's definitely disputed. Uh, but you know, I wouldn't put it past the CIA to do something like that. But I don't really know if I even buy that. But what I definitely don't buy is uh, Matt Kirsten retweeting this and saying. This bolsters my theory that the Mothman Paranormal Flap in Point Pleasant, West Virginia (parentheses 1966 and 1967) was an MK Ultra operation. Uh, hmm. So, the bare idea that it was an MK Ultra operation, like I could see an element of that, but the idea that these people were on LSD, I do not think is true. Yeah, I don't that's, think that, that was the is issue. Is like, so not, there's nothing no. to do with these two things. Like, it's just completely confusing yeah. and, like, uh, obfuscating of, like, everything about this. And shows, no, like, no knowledge of it the, whatsoever. Like, that you know, is not, uh, uh, not a very apt um, conflation of those two things. Uh, because I, I do yeah. believe, I've read about the, the French town and everything. It happened in 51, so, like, right before MKUltra really started. But anyways, like, I mean, I, I think the idea that, like, that that was something that happened over the... the I don't know, the course of like a week or two, I think, that whole French Yeah, thing. and what, what people so experience, the hallucinations they have are consistent with poisoning with some psychedelic yeah, material. Exactly. You know, like, Whereas uh, this, like, know, what what kind of drug could you give people in like a, a water supply or something for like a, a, almost two years and then like, I don't know, take it away? Like, it, that yeah, just doesn't Yeah, and then everything's really normal up. except they see like, you know, Mothman. these weird characters and have conversations with them and like, they all, exactly. yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, like it's it, literally yeah, completely uh, Maybe he thinks, you know, like, yeah, like what the, uh, the, you know, the, the Fatima sighting or something was like a collective delusion. I've heard that argument before, you know, from, uh, um, God, what was that in the Portugal and like the... Uh, the yeah, 1910s, I don't know if it's where these girls. But actually, John Keel mentions that as being like you know a Mothman type thing. Uh, oh my you know, God. or like a, he also <laughs> mentions like incidents of mass hallucination, like in you know medieval times, like that were attributed to ergo poisoning. So that's like an old thing where people have like yeah. outbreaks of madness or mass hallucinations, and often like uh, one explanation that's given to those things is that they were poisoned by ergo. In fact, that's even a. A, a an explanation that people have for Salem sometimes is that it was poisoning in the same way, but like psychedelic mm. fungus and bread or something like that. Like you know? they were all microdosing but, uh, and didn't know it. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's like the. But like you know, whatever you think about that, like you know, uh, that doesn't have any bearing on this, and it doesn't bolster anything. And it's the fact too specific. That he, this makes like, me think that Mothman's yeah. real because uh, <laughs> like this is the best. That's the best evidence for Mothman being an ultra-terrestrial being, mm, is that uh, Matt Chris yeah. made this nonsensical tweet yeah. about uh, how uh, it was an MKUltra operation. Like, that made it me, like, much more suspicious of the idea that it was mm. an MKUltra operation. Hard to uh, I mean, that. I'm being a bit facetious, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. you know, like... Um, yeah, but, but uh, that happens yeah. all the time. Like, the kind of, um, there, there's a kind of, like, st- like, a tendency of, like, kind of pointing out something horrible the, the CIA did, but then kind of, like, misapprehending it in a certain way and then applying it to, like, logically understand, like, uh, you know, unlocking the meaning of, like, another event that another big kind of conspiracy event that happened that kind of like wraps it all up nicely in a bow and it's still like yeah the yeah. CIA is bad but trying to think of like other examples where people have done I think that a lot of around like the JFK assassination and stuff like I mean you could even see it with like the the Mark Fisher uh, shit that we talked about like with acid communism it's like like that's a thing it's like oh like they were doing uh MK Ultra like saying that okay for example like uh uh, Charles Manson 
was like some kind of CIA agent and they used him to like destroy the 60s, but still believing that the entire culture, that counterculture, like leading up to it and all the LSD stuff was like legit until like Charles Manson came in and like Altamont happened and it was like history had changed overnight yeah you know, something um, is right. ending yeah, exactly. uh, you know and, yeah, and so I, I, then yeah. it's almost I, as if this free love yeah. uh it's like the summer it leaves of love everything is, and it's <laughs> as if we are entering yeah. the 70s yeah uh, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like it's the day that the music died in a way uh yeah like so it leaves this whole um, uh, this whole field uh kind of uninterrogated of stuff that you could kind of you know well if this is true then let's work backwards from that like how deep does the kind of manipulate how deep did the op go and i think you really do have to ask yourself that with mothman like how deep did this op go because i'm not saying that it wasn't an op but it, it would have to be yeah, a much more like complicated op than just dosing people with lsd it'd have to be on a whole nother level yeah. of like weird magnitude uh yes. with i mean maybe there's other uh the, the kind of explanations as well but i feel like the combination of it's like the mothman element and the ufo element happening simultaneously and then both disappearing after a huge disaster of this the silver bridge collapsing is that's too many weird specific coincidences for it to be like the product of like a kind of mass hallucination or yeah. uh, just be something com- or just be like a bird. I'm really not sold on the kind of like owl slash uh, crane theory Yeah, that ever yeah, maybe a few people me- saw something that they thought was liminally like I could see maybe the way an owl looks at you. You know how sometimes their eyes kind of like they light up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I shine. Yeah, yeah, I shine. So like, yeah, yeah. So you can see that—a big ass owl or something. Maybe there's even a mutant owl from all those uh, chemicals they dumped. But like, but I still feel like there's <laughs> yeah. there were too many sightings for it to have just been like a big like. I won't say zero percent chance it wasn't a big owl that was maybe a mutant freak <laughs> or something, but um, like, yeah. I don't know, like how could it fly uh, like a uh, hundred miles per hour or something like in chasing yeah, a car? Exactly. How uh, could it traumatize yeah, you or... with its like glowing red eyes? Like you know yeah, these things. Yeah, true. It does not really make sense. No, it does not. Yeah. that does not comport with an owl. It's Why does it have psychic of, powers? Like, <laughs> yeah. So that's another thing. Like the stuff. I mean, as we saw from that thing about Jack Brown, like. That was the kind of thing, I mean, it's definitely less wild than the Mothman stories, but that kind of stuff was part of the Mothman phenomenon. So I don't actually yeah. think that necessarily did stop, but prophecies were a part of it, which I think we should get into, like, in uh, in a moment. But uh, this was an interesting yeah. take, uh, just as a taste of what that is. Uh, you know, uh, John Keel, during the time of Mothman, was in contact with these contactees. That, so he was in co- a contactee of contactees. Uh, he was a second-degree mm-hmm. contactee who was having wow. these conversations with these beings who purported to be from other worlds, realities, etc., like another advanced race of some kind, you know. Um, and basically they were involved in this kind of struggle, like, uh, with some kind of, like, uh, enemy. Uh, like, uh, so uh, this is what he said. This is September 8th, uh, September 28th, uh, 1967, uh, mm-hmm. is one of his little uh, typewritten notes. A long-distance call from West Virginia informed me that Linda Scarberry woke up this morning with one eye swollen shut. Linda is pregnant. Connie Carpenter, who is also pregnant, has been suffering from fainting spells and blackouts down there. Mrs. Thomas, the Point Pleasant visionary, has had some new visions indicating that Mothman is very dangerous. She also says she has seen an army of dark-skinned people causing some kind of riot around the Marietta plant. 
This what? is the first time. Like, uh, I wonder. Like, yeah, interesting. Helter Skelter uh, labor yeah, war. Uh, yeah, uh, that's the whole thing. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is the first time she has had a totally negative vision of the situation, and she is scared. A few weeks ago, Doris Lilly of Point Pleasant woke in the middle of the night and saw a man in a checkered shirt standing over her bed. No details as yet. Dan Drayson returned from West Virginia on Monday and is trying to make plans go down again next week. I may go with him. Looks like things are happening there again. In an attempt to learn more about what is going on, I asked Jay to invite Apple to her house tonight. At 11 p.m., I talked with him uh, for over an hour on the phone. He is still not quite himself. He warned me, so he, she talk, he talked to this entity over the phone, so I don't know, but uh, anyway. He warned me not to go to West Virginia, that it would be dangerous for me. He said that the, I, the way that he writes it is in uh, quotation marks in all caps with a space between moth and man. So it's just like very great. Uh, just like <laughs> moth it. man. He said that the moth man is some type of creature from under the earth, which has been dormant for centuries and oh is now God. being brought up by the enemy. They are systematically taking over all of West Virginia. He said that these creatures thrive on human blood. Their occasional appearance over the centuries gave rise to our vampire legends. Like vampires, they are afraid of the cross, particularly crosses made of gold. We discussed a great many things, and it was a fruitful conversation. Apple told me all of the aliens are disturbed by light beams and that flashlights, etc. should not be used to signal UFOs. Some of the UFOs react with hostility when hit by beams of light. Since light is a form of concentrated energy, it is probable that this energy disrupts the composition of both the UFOs and the aliens. I asked oh. about the use of ultrasonic sounds. I suggested that we might mount a series of high-frequency high sirens in areas inundated by the aliens. Apple said this might be effective, but the aliens would take immediate countermeasures and destroy such sirens and their builders. Apple said that his people had only a token force in West Virginia at a place called Rodney's Point, and they could not protect me if I went down there. We discussed the hereditary aspects at length. He said that one person out of 20 is an indirect descendant, and that one person out of every 100 is a direct descendant. My mind was examined on June 12th while I was sleeping, he said. He thinks that I might be a direct descendant, but further tests will be necessary. I volunteered for the test, but asked that I be permitted to remain conscious and be permitted to retain memory of the experience. He said Jay and I should obtain shortwave receivers and tune them to the low end of the dial around 90 so he oh, was I, a he he's of a of a mothman bloodline uh potentially he's of an alien bloodline alien yeah, bloodline. Getting, okay he, yeah he even says uh there's actually a little bit more of this he says getting back to the mothmen he said that they were controlled by the enemy and had been forced to remain underground until recently because of a breathing problem they are conducting huh. experiments similar to those being carried out by his people biological tests etc he said that the enemy would soon take over west virginia and other states it seems that the conflict is entering new and serious stages. Apple says that it will break into the open within the next three years. New York and many other cities may be totally destroyed in this war. He says that a big blackout <laughs> will occur sometimes around uh, Christmas this year. The energy oh people, God. he said, work mostly at, around military bases, the Pentagon, etc. They freeze our people and enter such places at will. Jay's parents are frequently frozen these days. That is, they are suddenly placed in a suspended state. For example, Agar, one of the other entities, might come to visit Jay while her parents are home. As soon as Agar enters the apartment, her parents are transfixed uh, and oblivious to what is going on. When Agar leaves, the parents become unfrozen and continue with whatever acts and talk they were carrying out before they were frozen. Totally oblivious to the interruption. There doesn't seem wow. to be any way in which we mortals can combat these incredible techniques. So John Keel did seem to really buy into this stuff, and like that's yeah. like the whole... That gives you a taste of the whole scope of the Mothman prophecies, because there's, like, a lot mm -hmm. going on. Like, it's an interstellar yeah. war. Uh, New York is going to be destroyed, There's white hats probably. and black hats. Yeah, that's, uh... 
there yeah and it is all happening in this one place uh over the course of like a year and a half or two and i mean yeah yeah, yeah. we can uh, uh, uh dive more into that yeah. do you want to take a break right now we're at yeah, 103 we yeah, yeah, sounds good. um mm-hmm. and then we can get uh more into maybe yeah just like uh, the, the overlap is that the According to John Keel, they were they were putzing around during the Mothman UFO period, like mm-hmm. in I guess 1967. There was one yeah. little anecdote here that like jumped out at me about one kind of uh, figure that I think showed up a little bit before um, Jack Brown, but mm-hmm. he writes here. But well, it was before it, Silver Bridge. It was before Jack Brown. Yeah, it, this Jack is Brown in was May 1967. Here. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like at the climactic, you know, um, late end of, of the Mothman period and the UFO period. But um, John Keel writes, quote, Did you ever hear of anyone, especially an Air Force officer, trying to drink Jello?" Mrs. Ralph Butler of Awatana, Minnesota asked. Well, that's what he did. He acted like he had never seen any before. He picked up the bowl and tried to drink it. I had to show him how to eat it with a spoon. Mrs. Butler was describing the man who had visited her in May 1967 following a flurry of UFO sightings in Awatana. He said he was Major Richard French of the U.S. Air Force, although he was dressed in civilian clothes and was driving a white Mustang. His neat gray suit and everything else he was wearing appeared to be brand new. Even the soles of his shoes were unscuffed, unwalked upon. He was about five feet nine inches tall, with an olive complexion and a pointed face. His hair was dark and very long, too long for an Air Force officer, Mrs. Butler thought. Unlike Jack Brown, Major French was a fluent conversationalist and seemed perfectly normal until he complained about his stomach bothering him. When Mrs. Butler offered him the jello, she suspected for the first time that something was out of kilter. Richard French was an imposter. 
one of the many wandering around the United States in 1967. For years, these characters had caused acute paranoia among the flying saucer enthusiasts, convincing them that the Air Force was investigating them, silencing witnesses, and indulging in all kinds of unsavory activities, including murder. When I first began collecting such reports, I was naturally suspicious of the people making such reports. It all seemed like a massive put-on. But gradually it became apparent that the same minute details were turning up in widely separated cases, and none of these details had been published anywhere, not even in the little newsletters of the UFO cultists. There was somebody out there, all right. A few, like Richard French, almost pulled off their capers without drawing attention to themselves. But in nearly every case, there was always some small error, some slip of dress or behavior, which the witnesses were usually willing to overlook, but which stood out like signal flares to me. They often arrived in old model cars, which were as shiny and well-kept as brand new vehicles. Sometimes they slipped up in their dress, wearing clothes that were out of fashion or, even more perturbing, would not come into fashion until years later. Those who posed as military officers obviously had no knowledge of military procedure or basic military jargon. If they had occasion to pull out a wallet or notebook, it would be brand new. Although most men carry beat-up old wallets and notebooks quickly gain a worn look. Finally, like the fairies of old, they often collected souvenirs from the witnesses, delightedly walking away with an old magazine, pen, or other small expendable object. What troubled me most was the fact that these mystery men and women often matched the descriptions given to me by contactees who claimed to have seen a UFO land and had glimpsed or conversed with their pilots, pilots with either pointed features or oriental countenances, dusky skin, parentheses, not negroid, and unusually <laughs> long fingers. Hmm. So yeah, I feel like there is like a little bit of like racial paranoia around like the MIBs and like just the stuff in mm -hmm. general. Like like their swarthiness I, always gets commented yeah, upon. I remember the take on like the Betty and Barney Hill abduction that like that was some kind of like repressed uh, manifestation of like their angst from being in uh, in a racial relationship. Uh, which, like, you know, uh, hmm. I don't think that's, like, necessarily the case. But, um, you know, I do feel like in this stuff, like, the... Especially since, like, it's around the same time as, like, Martin Luther King and everything. I actually read, like, on the John Keel uh, website, like, uh, that there was... Like, he, uh, you know, I read some of his correspondences with his girlfriend, uh, or, you know, his, his one-time girlfriend, uh, mm -hmm. and it was Lynn something, Lynn Cato. A crazy thing about... And she was a black woman, and uh, who actually works at the Library of Congress, and they met because she was assembling, like, a bibliography about UFOs. Hmm. So a crazy... Yeah, she actually wrote to him, like, briefly about, like, uh, you know, the riots uh, following the death of MLK. She, like, towards the end of their relationship, she wrote, like, a... Uh, Events in Washington from Friday to Monday have me a have had for me a dreamlike quality. That is, it was hard to grasp the reality of what was occurring. Much of the city is fully as devastated as if bombs had been dropped during a war, and it was a war situation of sorts. As things were organized, it seemed there was a vanguard that went along smashing windows. Then the people in the neighborhood moved in and looted. Efforts were Antifa. concentrated on men's haberdasheries. Yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. There's nothing <laughs> Same new old under story. the sun. Efforts were concentrated on men's haberdasheries, uh, <laughs> TVs and appliance stores, food stores and jewelers. Liquor stores, of course, were a prime target, even in areas that were otherwise rather quiet. My own immediate neighborhood was completely untouched, including liquor stores, for several reasons, I think. Troops called in, had their headquarters at the old soldier's home, which is south of us. Riot mobs would have had to pass uh, them to get as far north as I live. 
then too, even if windows or stores had been of stores had been broken, people in the neighborhood would not have been disposed to move in and take advantage of the situation. Um, so hmm. yeah, she goes on and uh, like uh, she talks about like uh, how uh, it wasn't like a, a f- friend of hers said it wasn't even this bad in Casablanca in '55 when there was widespread undercover guerrilla warfare because she had spent some time uh, in the Middle East. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, and I guess this woman also was a. Uh, a psychic she said for example that in the day of the assassination she was at the beauty parlor under the dryer with her head tilted slightly down because she was drinking matracol then she said that quite plainly she saw several pairs of bloody men's feet shuffling towards her she said she what? was so surprised that she jumped quite violently and spilled the matracol i don't know what that is metricol uh, uh but anyway uh the uh, operator yeah, came yeah. running over thinking she had perhaps received a shock from the dryer yeah then he goes into wow. a little bit uh you know like uh the idea of having uh uh, people of color in NICAP, the like uh, National Investigation uh, Committee of Aerial Phenomena, like basically like a UFO organization. I don't know if that really? is, what the acronym is. Yeah, like uh, National Investigation, yeah, National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena. That's what it's called. Uh, but anyway, uh, like uh, apparently, yeah, like um, someone suggested that uh, there should be like black people admitted to this like informal UFO organization. But mm-hmm. uh, Isabel, I think it was Isabel Davis. Yeah, Isabel Davis said that she was violently opposed to the idea wow. of adding a black person to the staff. And uh, uh, that's Lynn interesting. Cato you don't said, you don't yeah. always think about that in terms of UFO groups, like in the fifties, sixties, and seventies. Uh, but mm-hmm. like a lot of them probably would have been exclusively white. Like, you know, yeah. maybe maybe it just ended up like demographically being that way because they're like in the suburbs or whatever but at the same time like how many of and then of course how could that not color their perception of the ufos and their expectations and their fears and everything else yeah i mean something crazy that or well uh at least interesting that i discovered like on this reread of the mothman prophecies that i would not have stuck out to me before because i didn't even know who this guy was for doing this podcast if you have listened to our episodes on uh soviet psychic discoveries and our episode on bigfoot uh you'll Mm -hmm. recognize ivan t sanderson as uh the Mm -hmm. guy who wrote the insane racist intro to (laughs) new psychic discoveries on the iron curtain and also east east east, west west central west yes mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and uh also the guy who uh said that uh you know the fate of the world depends on like whether the u.s or the soviets discover the yeti first and like if not like (laughs) all the world religions will be rocked to the core and like we'll all be Mm -hmm. at the mercy of the soviets if they have a yeti in their possession (laughs) uh but uh yeah that guy is like john keel's best friend like he's in the mothman prophecies a lot uh he's mentioned wow. prophecies a lot and he's like you know they correspond together they were actually going to write a book together called abominable space beings it fell apart because like there were some like uh stylistic clashes but uh-huh. uh you know it was kind of a takeoff of abominable snowman there's like a there actually was drama between well because you know uh he was dating this black woman lynn Cato, and there was actually drama between ivan sanderson and john keel and this woman because i guess there was a National Enquirer piece, which, if you mm-hmm. remember, that was kind of involved in some of the Bigfoot investigations, and mm. uh, that magazine was, rather. And there was a National yeah. Enquirer piece, I guess, that sort of said that, um, you know, uh, Ivan Sanderson and John Keel were going to quit ufology because they'd been intimidated too much by the men in black. And mm. Ivan T. Sanderson was convinced that, you know, Lynn had blabbed to some reporter, you know, and that, wow. uh, and he apparently was like super paranoid and was always like, you know, they're out to get me, like, blah, blah, blah. like my phone's tapped. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> and yeah, he has like, uh, there's a hilarious letter that he wrote to John Keel where he's like, 
John, like my friend, I, I don't know if I can handle living in New York anymore. Like, you know, I, I've been a, a New Yorker, if you will, for 25 years, but the city's getting a little bit too, you know, like uh, he had some uh, concerns. Yeah. Oh, I but, see. Uh, it's like yeah. it's it's changing the types of people that changing. live here. Yeah, the types mm, of people that live I here see. are, are changing. Yeah, he definitely. It's also uh, interesting that the national, the other National Enquirer uh, kind of connection is like the other book that we did, like the uh, Soviet breakthroughs and like parapsychology was written by oh, two yeah. National Enquirer journalists who got mm. access to go to the Soviet Union in like 1977. Mm, yeah, interesting. Yeah. I guess that they, yeah, they were like big into this stuff. But yeah, he has a bunch yeah. of remarks in his letters with John Keel where he's just like, uh, I saw two men of, let's say, tropical African extraction oh, or whatever, gosh. you know. Uh, <laughs> he's very, uh, yeah, he's, uh, right. he's quite the racist. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, they were... Uh, very close and he was surprisingly like into UFOs as well you know he kind of portrays himself as being this sort of scientific biology focused guy but he was in, into UFOs and there's one really funny letter where um, you know uh, not to say that uh, you know not to cast aspersions on, on those who, who search for the abominable snowman but uh, it was kind of a funny disposition because you know he's talking about this uh, this drama that there was in the ufology community and the drama between him and John Keel's girlfriend and uh he said something like, I hope that we can return to discussing sensible things such as snake charming and abominable snowmen. <laughs> you know, it's just like, uh, but I don't think he had a hint of irony about it at all. I think that he actually hmm. was serious. Like, we should return to sensible subjects like the abominable snowmen. Yeah, um, yeah, but, exactly. But yeah, um, uh, well, uh, on uh, just tangent, I just found a, a, a juicy little anecdote in, uh, in Kiel's book that kind of links up with maybe this kind of a racial anxiety thing that has to do with Vietnam. With, okay. This is this is interesting, and maybe it'll tie into other stuff. But he writes, there are shaggy bird stories by the pound. Uh, a businessman in Arlington, Virginia, wrote to me recently, describing an experience he and three friends had in the winter of 1968-69. Uh, they were at a farm near Haymarket when they heard a strange rushing sound near a small lake. Intrigued, they set out with flashlights and a couple of dogs to investigate. Suddenly, the dogs howled, turned tail, and ran. There, standing by a tree, was a huge dark shadow between 8 and 12 feet tall. The quartet scurried back to their car, turned on their lights, and swung toward the shadow. All we saw, he reported, was this huge thing with large red-orange eyeballs and wing-like arms. We couldn't get out of there fast enough. We even have a naked woman with wings in our collection. Here we go. The case was investigated by Don Worley, an experienced student of the unknown, who interviewed the witness in depth. He is a reliable observer, Worley notes, and he swears that this event is well beyond the capacity of his imagination. Earl Morrison, the witness, was serving as a private first class in the Marine Corps in Vietnam in the summer of 1969. He and two buddies were sitting on top of a bunker near Da Nang on a warm summer evening. All of a sudden, I don't know why, we all three looked out there in the sky. I guess this is his quote. Uh, we all three looked out there in the sky and we saw this figure coming toward us. It had a kind of glow and we couldn't make it out, make out what it was at first. It started coming toward us real slowly. All of a sudden, we saw what looked like wings, like a bat's, only it was gigantic compared to what a regular bat would be. After it got close enough so we could see what it was, it looked like a woman, a naked woman. She was black. Her skin was black. Her body was black. The wings were black. Everything was black. But it glowed. It glowed in the night. Kind of a greenish cast to it. There was a glow on her and around her. Everything glowed. Looked like she glued, she glowed and threw off a radiance. We saw her arms toward the wings, and they looked like regular molded arms, each with a hand and fingers and everything, but they had the skin from the wings going over them. And when she flapped her wings, there was no noise at first. It looked like her arms didn't have any bones in them, because they were limber, just like a bat. 
She started going over us, and we still didn't hear anything. She was right above us, and when she got over the top of our heads, she was maybe six or seven feet up. We couldn't do anything. We didn't know what to do. We just froze. We watched that what was going on, what was going over, because we couldn't believe our eyes. So we watched her go straight over the top of us, and she still hadn't made any noise flapping her wings. She blotted out the moon once. That's how close she was to us. As we watched her, she got about 10 feet or so away from us. We started hearing her wings flap, and it sounded, you know, like regular wings flapping. And she just started flying off, and we watched her for quite a while. The total time when we first saw her and could almost define her until we lost sight of her and were unable to define her was between three and four minutes. Vietnam had a big UFO wave in 1968 and 69, which included an epidemic of phantom helicopters. On several occasions, the military forces on both sides fired at the objects without effect. Private First Class Morrison's account stands as one of the best close-up sightings of a winged entity. Yeah, so not only was were, were there rock ape Bigfoot creatures on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, but I guess they had a big UFO wave in 68 and 69, and that does line up pretty well with a, a certain hotshot young PSYOP lieutenant going over there, mm-hmm. starting Operation Wandering Soul, the Phoenix program, uh, doing like auditory PSYOPs out of helicopters. But I wonder, like the Phantom helicopter thing, I want, I, I'm not super familiar with that, nor did I hear that Vietnam had a ton of UFOs, but I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that, for one, I think it definitely makes sense that, like, American, like, GIs would see UFOs in Vietnam, and, like, but I also think the PSYOP component is super interesting. Like, it really lines up with, like, Jacques Vallée wrote a book uh, called Messengers of Deception. I mean, he, he really put this whole idea out like in a bunch of his different books uh and like i said like he's kind of on a similar wavelength uh as uh john keel but the uh interesting thing about uh his book messengers of deception is that he really talks about kind of something that we've floated a little bit before about how like there's an interest by certain parties like their identity like kind of being vague in sort of controlling uh the ufo phenomena like in that book he talks a lot about you know uh ufo cults and how like they might uh, be used, uh, mm-hmm. or they might be infiltrated, or, or things like that. There's even this one guy he talks to who's, like, a member of the John Birch Society, and he's all about, like, starting a political party to get, like, someone who's a contactee, like, into the White House. Yeah, like, uh, he... Actually, there's one part in the book where he talks with Timothy Leary, and Timothy Leary says some weird things about, like, how he's, like, no longer human or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um... Let me see if I can find that part. It's not, like, directly uh, relevant to the, the manipulation hypothesis, but he does talk about it sli- shortly thereafter, so it might uh, dovetail into it. Uh, he says, um, you know, he went down to uh, listen to the, the tapes uh, that Leary made in jail. They weren't meant to be released, uh, but the prison psychologist undertaken a study of Leary and the whole thing had gotten out of hand. The tapes belonged to the states, the psychiatrist, or to Leary. There was a complicated legal battle the tapes got out. We were going to hear them as soon as everyone was there. So you gathered there with some people, people who driven from San Francisco, Berkeley, Stanford. Others hmm. live in the woods nearby, you know. There are lots of long-legged, tanned California girls who are knocking the pipe out of a physicist's mouth. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, one physicist had done research on Yuri Geller, who was there. There was enough scientific talent in the room to send a rocket to Pluto. Uh, he says, Leary's voice coming out of the tape recorder was calm as he discussed his beliefs with the prison psychiatrist. His argumentation was as sure as if he had been back at Harvard administering a PhD qualifying exam in the psychology department. He started that every living entity is, had a generic purpose, and that the problem before us now was the future of the human race. He implied that man was fast approaching the end of his rope. 
that evolution was ready to make a new jump toward a higher form of life, and that a superior intelligence had conceived the blueprint for us on Earth. The central nervous system was its gift to us, a piece of equipment to explore and use in order to establish communication with our maker. The interviewer asked if this wasn't exactly what the modern followers of the ancient arts of massage and physical identification with the body had been preaching. Leary answered that he was bored with the body people. It's fine for people to become identified with their body, he said, but after they've done that, they still have to identify themselves with their central nervous system, with the genetic code, and lastly, with a superior plan. The psychiatrist remarked that Leary's ideas seem to differ from Eastern philosophies, which assume (laughs) that the body, including the central nervous system, is not the individual. How did he come to develop such a different philosophy? Leary said he wasn't sure it was so different, but as a scientist, he had never wandered away from concepts that could be localized and reproduced. I don't believe in mushy Hindu heavens, he said, and the psychiatrist was talking like a human being. But he, Leary, was no longer human, he said. Besides, he was terribly distrustful of humanists. The people who had organized the meeting gave me a copy of a questionnaire Timothy Leary had developed to gather the opinions of other people concerning higher intelligence. It began with these questions. Do you believe that higher intelligence is a useful concept? What is your definition of higher intelligence? What is your definition of intelligence? Uh, I thought we were being trapped. The questions were in the wrong order, you know? And then he uh, Mm -hmm. goes on uh, about this. Uh, He says, like, uh, you know, uh, perhaps Leary and others had found a new bandwagon. Perhaps they're just expressing the aspirations and frustrations of a generation that has put man on the moon, but has done nothing for the Earth. Visitors from outer space would be a convenient interlude. They would offer the space effort and all its attendant industrial technology a new purpose in life. They would rescue Western civilization from its acute spiritual malaise. They would help transcend political emotions and pave the way to the unification of that enormous economic marketplace, planet Earth. Take these possibilities into consideration and you will begin to understand why the idea of life in space is no longer a simple scientific speculation, but a social and political issue as well. Sensing this, the military authorities try to stay away from it as long as possible. So as a scientific community. Um, so, mm. yeah, he end, went to go meet with, uh, you know, uh, Condon, the guy who had done that sort of famous UFO committee. But one of the mm-hmm. most interesting people who he met with, like, on this sort of tip related to uh, the sort of uh, PSYOP angle and, like, Operation Wandering Soul and the possibility of that vis-a-vis Mothman, um, he met with this one guy uh, who he calls uh, Major Murphy. Um and uh, he says, uh, I still believe, uh, well, uh, he, says, he still believes that an analysis of UFO sightings is necessary. Scientific analysis will undoubtedly provide part of the truth about UFOs. However, I no longer believe it will lead to the whole truth. I owe this realization to a man I shall call Major Murphy, although his actual rank is much higher than that of Major. Uh, one star general, here we go. He taught me a lesson <laughs> I am not likely to forget. Major Murphy, who retired from the U.S. Intelligence Service quite a few years ago, had seen action in World War II in Italy and also described vividly his investigations in the Caribbean, where he organized efforts to intercept submarines and German spies on their way to the United States and then hire them. No, sorry, you didn't say that. I met him at a gathering of UFO contactees and suggested a drink when it was over. I expressed my surprise at his interest in the event, which I had regarded as a complete waste of time. He asked me to clarify this judgment, and I said that, in my opinion, none of the people in attendance knew anything about science. Then he posed a question that, obvious as it seems, had not really occurred to me. What makes you think that UFOs are a scientific problem? I replied with something to the effect that a problem was only scientific in the way it was approached, but he would have none of that, and began lecturing me. First, he said that science had certain rules. For example, it has to assume that the phenomenon it is observing is natural in origin, rather than artificial and possibly biased. Now, the UFO phenomenon could be controlled by alien beings. 
if it is added to major, then the study of it doesn't belong in science. It belongs in intelligence, meaning mm. counter-espionage. And mm. that, he pointed out, was his domain. Now, in the field of counter-espionage, the rules are completely different. He drew a simple diagram in my notebook. You are a scientist. In science, there is no concept of the price of information. Suppose I gave you 95% of the data concerning a phenomenon. You're happy because you know 95% of the phenomenon. Not so in intelligence. If I got 95% of the data, I know this is the cheap part of the information. I still need the other 5%, but I will have to pay a much higher price to get it. You see, Hitler had 95% of the information about the landing in Normandy, but he had the wrong 95%. Are you saying that UFO data we use to compile statistics and find patterns with computers are useless, I asked? Might we be spinning our magnetic tapes endlessly discovering spurious laws? It all depends how the team on the other side thinks. If they know what they're doing, there will be so many cutouts between you and them that you won't have the slightest chance of tracing the, your way to the truth, not by following up sightings and throwing them into a computer. They will keep feeding you the information they want you to process. What is the only source of data about the UFO phenomenon? It is the UFOs themselves. Some things are beginning to make a lot of sense. If you're right, what can I do? It seems that research on the phenomenon is hopeless then. I might as well dump my computer into a river. Not necessarily, but you should try a different approach. First, you should work entirely outside of organized UFO groups. They are infiltrated by the same official agencies they are trying to influence, and they propagate any rumor anyone wants to have circulated. In intelligence circles, people like that are historical necessities. When you've worked long enough for Uncle Sam, you know he is involved in a lot of strange things. The data these groups get are biased to source, but they play a useful role. Uh, second, you should look for the irrational, the bizarre, the elements that do not fit. That's what I have come to observe at this meeting tonight. Have you ever felt that you were getting close to something that didn't seem to fit any irrational pattern, yet gave you a strong impression that it was significant? You know, he goes on to talk about uh, Melichez decks uh, or whatever, wow. but uh, yeah, like, uh, anyway, the conclusion that, like, you know, he makes basically is that these uh, groups and, like, this idea of people in space is useful and is being used by, like, certain, uh, uh, like, uh, operatives to kind of... Uh, manipulate them like uh mm -hmm. you know he says according to major murphy the confusion in the ufm mystery may be it put them deliberately to achieve certain results one of these results has been to keep scientists away the other is to create the conditions for a new form of social control a change mm -hmm. in man's perception of his place in the universe are his theories fantastic before we decide you know he goes on to talk about uh some other facts you know about uh yeah, he even mentions a racist philosophy, like the pernicious suggestion that some of us on Earth are of extraterrestrial descent and therefore constitute a higher race. The dangerous yeah. inherent in this belief should be obvious to anybody who hasn't forgotten the genocide of World War II, executed on the premise that some races were somehow purer or better than others. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, there, yeah, you know, that, like that. that's the idea it right of social there. Utopia, fantastic mm -hmm. economic theories, including the belief that a world economy can be created overnight and that democracy should be abolished in favor of utopian systems. Mm -hmm. usually dictatorial in their outlook like all this stuff is part of these ufo beliefs so like the idea that some of this stuff might be like uh used as a manipulation or its usefulness like not only yeah like on one hand you could say like oh well you know what they were doing in point pleasant or whatever if they were doing some kind of psyop around mothman that's mm -hmm. like a testing ground or something to yeah. for the vietnamese but you can also look at the other way around and say that like you know what they were doing to their own people like, like it's a testing know, ground for us yeah, well, yeah. or a testing well, ground goes, really for it everybody goes both ways yeah exactly it goes both ways and it's i guess it's all maybe perhaps experimental uh in a way but yeah well i mean uh, I, it doesn't go both ways in the sense that like the vietnamese were like psyoping us with mothman well yeah it but goes both in the ways sense of that like what they do in vietnam and what they do here like is connected which is yes like, exactly part of the whole thing 
Um, exactly. Uh, yeah. it, it, it almost necessitates that you have to... Uh, you, I mean, yeah, because in many ways the Vietnam War was a laboratory for future theaters of conflict and the domestic front. And just as like yeah. a lot of domestic experiments were meant to be ultimately exported, whether it's like dosing troops at the Edgewood Arsenal or, you know, things like that. And the UFO yeah. things, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, even Jack Vallée said there, like, you know, he believes at least that there was a real UFO phenomenon, but it was being used, like, in a certain way. And that definitely is, like, uh, demonstrative. And I think that, you know, also, like, that doesn't uh, rule out that there were UFO incidents and uh, that were fabricated or, or illusory or uh, created by, like, human operatives. But the, uh, you know, it's definitely true that, uh, you know, it was, like, it's documented that they did try to, like, control this. And one of the things was sort of just in the same way that uh, that guy, like, John uh, Brown or whatever, uh, Jack Brown, was, like, uh, very dismissive of it. One of their main things that they sort of emphasized uh, in, like, uh, for instance, there was this one thing called the Robertson panel, uh, which I guess was like a scientific panel uh, that was sort of uh, brought on by like a CIA review of Air Force investigations of the UFOs. And uh, the recommendation of this panel, you know, which was given some military intelligence. And uh, I mean, I don't know to what degree this was followed, probably to some extent. Uh, I think that probably it also wasn't followed, and in some ways maybe this belief was maybe managed instead of fully discouraged, but their recommendation was, you know, try to get people not to believe in UFOs because, or try to discourage the belief because, like, that could be used against us. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, you know, if people are hysterical, you know, people yeah. are, you know, like, calling up and saying, like, I'm seeing these objects or, uh, you know, anything like that in these UFO groups, you know, uh, they were even saying, like, you should monitor like NICAP and monitor like APRO and all these groups like they need to be watched because like they're a danger they're dangerous and they can shape the the perceptions of the public uh and one funny thing about that is that uh I think that they even mentioned like the whole HG Wells uh or the Orson Wells uh adaptation <laughs> yeah. of HG Wells War of the Worlds like mm -hmm. you know uh and I think that's probably the origin of like the idea that there's like this big mass hysteria where like I think that uh you know recent sort of retrospectives on this have tried to determine that like the extent to which there was mass hysteria was a bit overblown, but I think that was almost like something that people were told to sort of teach them about the dangers of being hysterical about these alien things, you know, like it's a story, like the, the distortion of it, the story of this huge panic that really wasn't as huge as it's often remembered to yeah. have been, like as, you know, the, a, uh, a the dangers uh, of it, yeah. A gray scare, if you will. Yeah, it was, it was a gray scare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, you know, the whole, uh, they definitely encouraged a lot of, like, public programming to sort of uh, teach people that, like, UFOs aren't real. But I think that probably on the other side, they're like, well, if this belief is so uh, powerful and it can be used by our enemies, like, we should use it as well. Uh, Absolutely. I think that's definitely the case. Yeah. Related to that, of, like, UFOs as threat, I just discovered a couple interesting articles that I wanted to know a little more about. The Vietnam UFO wave in 1968 that Kiel mentioned and i guess there's a lot going on in regards to that i i i find it weird that i feel like i guess maybe it was on this history channel i mean one of these articles is like from historychannel.com the other one's from huffpo so i guess if you watch history channel ufo shows you might know about this but i feel like it's not a huge part of like the ufo discourse like i don't hear didn't really hear like uh, either Stephen Greer or Tom DeLonge in either of their movies like bring this up. They always talked about how the UFOs would turn off our nuclear missiles or something like that, right? Yeah. But 
they didn't talk about how UFOs first appeared in uh, the aftermath, or I guess, you know, in the tail end of the Korean War, and uh, they were not friendly to the U.S. imperialists, uh, according to the testimony of certain soldiers. But there were a lot of UFO sightings, and there were UFO attacks, apparently, allegedly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let me read a little bit, like, first of, like, what happened here this is just from yeah from a couple years ago when dozens of korean war gis claimed a ufo made them sick theories range from high-tech soviet death rays to extraterrestrials studying human combat to combat stress-induced hallucinations in may 1951 one year into the korean war pfc francis p wall and his regiment found themselves stationed near chorwon about 60 miles north of seoul as they were preparing to bombard a nearby village with artillery great great guys uh bombard that village uh all of a sudden the soldiers saw a strange sight up in the hills like quote a jack-o'-lantern came wafting down across the mountain what happened after the pulsing quote attacking light the lingering debilitating symptoms would mystify many for decades to come as the gis watched the craft made its way down into the village where where the artillery air bursts were starting to explode Quote, we further noticed that this object would get right into the center of an airburst of artillery and yet remain unharmed, Wall later told John P. Timmerman of the Center for UFO Studies in a 1987 interview. Suddenly the object turned, Wall said, and whereas at first it had glowed orange, now it was a pulsating blue-green brilliant light. He asked his company commander for permission to fire at the object with armor-piercing bullets from an M1 rifle. As the bullets hit the body of the craft, he recalled, they made a metallic ding. The object started behaving still more erratically, shunting from side to side as its lights flashed on and off. Wall's recollections of what happened next are stranger still. We were attacked, he said, swept by some form of a ray that was emitted in pulses, in waves that you could visually see only when it was aiming directly at you. That is to say, like a searchlight sweeps around and the segments of light, you would see it coming at you. He remembered a burning, tingling sensation sweeping over his body, as if he were being penetrated. The men rushed into underground bunkers and peeped through the windows, watching as the craft hovered above them and then shot off at a 45-degree angle. It's that quick, he said. It was there and was gone. Three days after the incident, the entire company of men was evacuated by ambulance, with special roads cut to haul out those too weak to walk. When they finally received medical treatment, they were found to have dysentery. Eh, can yeah, relate. They, um, and, like yeah. um, yep, uh, and an extremely high white blood cell count. To me, says Richard F. Haynes, a UFO researcher and former NASA scientist, they had symptoms that sounded like the effects of radiation. Was it an experimental Are you sure they just didn't drink some uh, the water from a certain well? Yeah, what year was this? That uh, happened in 1951, so in the heat of the Korean War. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess that was still after, like, the Kenneth Arnold uh, stuff, like, the whole, like, uh, terming of, like, the flying saucers, and I guess that was after Roswell, like, and everything. But there were, even before mm-hmm. that, like, there were the whole thing, like, the Foo Fighters, you know? Yeah, yeah, Foo uh, Fighters. Which were, like, the, you know, uh, well, it actually, World War II uh, UFOs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, it actually gets into that a little bit here, because uh, they, they tried to figure out, the first thought everyone had was that this was some kind of uh, Soviet thing. It says that, like, uh, you know, there were dozens of men throughout the Korean War that reported seeing similar unidentified flying objects over the course of the 37-month conflict. The 
craft often resembled flying saucers. According to unofficial reports, as many as 42 were corroborated by additional witness reports, an average more of one a month in just over three years. At first, according to Korean War historian Paul M. Edwards, many researchers believed that the sightings were Soviet experiments based on German technology and foreign research in anti-gravity. These were supposedly so large they could carry 50 tons of weight and were powered by electromagnetic propulsion, he writes in unusual footnotes to the Korean War. What was being cited, it was suggested, were disks the Russians were testing over the Korean skies. But in the years since the fall of the Soviet Union, a number of Soviet reports of sightings of sighting UFOs over Korea have trickled in, discrediting these theories. So apparently the Soviets were also seeing them and being like, what the hell are these? It says, uh, why were there so many UFO sightings throughout the Korean War? Were they the product of thousands of exhausted men under incredible stress or a sign of something more mysterious? Uh, It says, you know, obviously from 1952 until 1986, uh, the United States Air Force ran Project Blue Book, you know, a systematic study into UFOs and their potential threat to national security. When it was shuttered. In 1969, they said they did uh, found nothing of note. Though it does say there, 1986, not 69. I think a lot of people obviously believe that that it wasn't really shut down, etc. And I guess this uh, there's this one scientist that they talked to. He says, "I don't, I don't believe in them. I don't not believe in them. I'm trying to let the data convince me one way or the other, which is the scientific approach." This guy, uh, what's his name, um, Haynes, uh, says. They thought they might be Soviet or Chinese vessels with unknown technology, but he says if they were, they would have been building those crafts for use in later wars like the Vietnam War, for instance. The Soviet UFO sightings Edwards describes make it similarly unlikely, as do the impossibly high-tech specifications of some of the sightings. In Wall's case, for instance, he described a kind of force field taking effect after uh, a while after he began shooting, where his bullets simply ricocheted away from the craft. Haynes, for his part believes the rash of sightings across the Korean War might suggest that something in the universe is especially interested in how human beings behave in the throng of military action. We tend to be very creative to fight a war, Haynes says, listing out the various sciences and technologies that might come into play in military action. If you were interested in how another country or another race of people fought their wars, you'd want to collect more information on that, wouldn't you? He trails off. That's one possible explanation. There may be others. But you know what? The people in that squadron that encountered this ufo with like a force field they basically had long like long lasting after effects of this like sickness including uh the wall went from 180 pounds to 138 he had stomach problems and periods of disorientation and memory loss after returning to the u.s um and basically like had to take retire at 42 and take a disability i guess he would tell he he would consistently tell his ufo story over the years and uh the details basically uh i don't know they also say actually okay last thing i'll read because it's relevant to us uh they say it might have also been a moment of feverish delirium even the raised white blood cell count that surprised army doctors and Haynes is consistent with many of the bacterial infections which might also cause severe dysentery as are hallucinations so like what I experienced uh, having fever dreams 
of like our North Korean uh-huh. guides like coming to get us, I guess is they're saying that um, perhaps he drank some Kim Il-sung water and they all or they all drank water from a stream and all got messed up. But I don't really know. I mean, you didn't have the same dream that I did when I dreamed I that our tour bus I, I, showed up. Yeah, I didn't up. experience these weird dreams. So, yeah, I don't know. Again, it's like Mothman. Um, like how, how big can a collective delusion or hallucination yeah. be before you just have to accept that like people experienced a common sighting or you know i mean they all got sick so like i don't know like i it's 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 interesting isn't it it's also very interesting that the ufo seems to be firmly on the side of the juche idea and it's all about driving out these u.s imperialists uh with it's like wonder weapons, I suppose. Yeah, there is an interesting thing, actually. In that same letter I mentioned uh, from 1966 uh, from uh, Ivan Sanderson to John Keel, the same mm-hmm. one where he talks about, like, you know, where he makes that uh, racist remark about uh, tropical African origin of some guy who mugged his friend, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, also says something interesting about uh, Kenneth Arnold, the guy who, like, coined the term flying saucers and first saw like we were flying saucers uh you know and this guy himself like despite being apparently like a huge coward and like paranoiac who was like always like just freaking out like over people spying on him or you know and uh always feeling betrayed and and just uh you know uh worked up over stuff he was also mm-hmm. pretty spooked up himself you know and he like had a lot of like intelligence connections uh and uh, sponsoring his yeti work and things like that mm-hmm. and uh you know he always wanted to be uh, a loyal uh soldier but so he does have some uh perhaps insights i don't know but Uh, He said, though I may uh, well be wrong on several counts, I have always felt that one good example of each of all the kinds of phenomena involved is quite enough, followed by a mere note in the number and distribution of similar cases, and then right into comment analysis and speculation of this item, and how it does or might fit into an overall pattern. If I have to read another housewife uh, seeing an odd light in the sky at night, I'll finally lose interest in the whole business. And if I have to hear about Kenneth Arnold again, which I will, I would like to see a full examination and analysis of his connections with the Pentagon prior to his first alleged sighting and some appraisal Mm. of the very strong story that this was a deliberate plant by that August body. Further, somebody ought to come right out with the facts about Arnold's incredible collection of tapes of what he alleges are direct communications with space people. He's got a house in a mountain, uh, Erie, in Ohio, uh, that is said to be stuffed full of gadgetry, and I was told, uh, when in Berkeley, uh, this is crossed out and says, no Seattle, by a man (laughs) who said that, uh, he had been there, that Arnold is far further out, uh, than any Adamski ever was. This little fact puts an entirely different complexion on the whole of ufology and uh, the official behavior. What if our DOD, possibly in conjunction with other governments, did deliberately initiate and foster the whole business, using a hard-boiled businessman politician flyer to do so? Was, in fact, the catchphrase flying saucer very deliberately chosen, as some say, by the best psychological warfare boys? Uh, (laughs) So... That's, Wait, uh, so you're saying that secretly, what if secretly the Soviets and the Americans were working on UFO technology together? Uh, he doesn't say the Soviets, but he does say in connection with other governments. Uh, the Soviets could be implied, but he does, yeah, what if our DOD possibly in conjunction with other governments? So, yeah, that could be the Soviets. It could be somebody else. I mean, like that, I mean, that would, would hypothetically describe why both sides acted like, hey, what's this? We have no idea about it. But mm-hmm. I also don't quite buy that. It would be interesting if there were like a sort of uh, joint task force 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, uh, I, may, yeah, I, I know. will, it's I don't know. I, maybe I will say uh, like, if, if there was like, you know, recovered alien bodies or something like that, like I would almost like not rule out some kind of like extremely high level, like, look, uh, we found aliens, like we can't really like tell the world this, but you know, it's like too dangerous, but uh, yeah, maybe it's like on you know on this one issue uh, we manage it somehow or something like that. Another um, possibility would be that like you know uh, a bunch of like class traitors like in, within the Soviet Union like uh, yep. you know like factions within the governments you know like mm-hmm. would be like we need to like stop you know probably thinking like we're gonna try to stop the Cold War or something you know like and achieve this whole thing of world peace, you know, maybe that would be like the agenda, you know, like we well, can I would wonder about that. integrate yeah. by having the one world utopia, uh, yeah. you know, like, uh, and, I would wonder yeah. that about the later period in the 1970s when at the Esalen Institute, I believe they hosted the Soviet American like friendship society. It had a name like that. That was basically specifically for American scientists and Soviet scientists to collaborate and like share research and particularly in kind of parapsychological paraphysical research that both sides were doing and then that fostered a certain kind of uh you know we'd have to dig into it to see like who were these personalities and like you know to what degree uh how you know did they all become turncoats and stuff but it is interesting that the Esalen Institute sponsored Boris Yeltsin's trip to the U.S. in the 80s where he claimed that he was converted to capitalism by, like, walking into a Houston supermarket. And, like, he, like, had uh, almost, like, an ecstatic revelation looking at all, like, the Twinkies and, like, Lucky Charms cereal and, and stuff that this was heaven and uh, he wanted to go back to to Russia and uh, hmm. destroy communism uh, and watch communism die, basically. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's like there's uh, some interesting... There was an element of, like, that, like, that backdoor kind of cooperation uh diplomacy on the margins of like this kind of out there stuff like ufos or parapsychology and shit yeah uh and yeah just to like uh kind of touch on like the sort of global scope of like the prophecies in the mothman prophecies that were being fed Mm -hmm. john keel like by these entities like he was hearing like a lot of uh interesting stuff you know basically uh let me see if i can get them there are some like amazing messages that he wrote based on like what he like the messages that he had received from people you know or from you know uh alleged uh aliens or beings about what might happen he like actually wrote them his friends including uh ivan t sanderson to uh try to prepare them for what was going to happen he uh wrote uh to whom it may concern i think a copy of this was yeah sent to ivan sanderson but uh, for the past two weeks, a chain of seemingly unrelated events have taken place. Uh, this is July 23rd, uh, 1967. All of which mm-hmm. are directly related to the mystery of unidentified flying objects, even though this doesn't seem apparent to the casual observer. These events will reach a spectacular climax in this coming week, provided my analysis and interpretation are as accurate as they have been in the past. On uh, or about July 26th, there will be an active assassination in the Middle East, which will shake the world. This murder will be carried out by a person or a group of persons yet unknown to me. As in the Kennedy assassination, this act will probably be arranged that it will appear to be the work of one man or one small group of men with seemingly deranged motives. 
Uh, what he thought was that like Pope Paul was going to be killed by like some dude like uh, all in black, like on a visit uh, to Turkey. Well, Surely he's close. After- a Turkish guy, like, you know, 14 years later, yeah, did shoot the did, Pope. <laughs> he, uh, he did point out that he was close, uh, yeah. you know, or that there was an attempt on, on his And life, what if he happened. what if he was really thinking about Bobby Kennedy getting shot by Sirhan, Bobby Kennedy's Catholic. So maybe it was well, like a little bit of, you the know. The aliens uh, did talk to him about Bobby Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe really? a little bit. Uh, really? Actually, yeah, they said that Bobby Kennedy was supposed to come uh, help Marilyn Monroe. I don't think that they predicted uh, Bobby Kennedy's death. He kind of, like, in the Mothman Prophecies, start, tries to make it sound like they did, but mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything to confirm that they did. He did receive, like, a war. He says in the book, like, I got a warning about Bobby Kennedy uh, and Marilyn Monroe, but, uh, you know... Uh, she uh like he asked jay via the, the, the channel via the yeah he asked the channel, the channel jay if jack kennedy's death were involved in all this she hedged so that bobby kennedy was involved in marilyn monroe's death bobby was supposed to rescue marilyn as a publicity stunt but failed to answer the phone when marilyn called him to say that they had she had taken an overdose on drugs so apparently okay, that was a wait a minute and, uh, yeah. <laughs> wait hold on um, like wait we're talking about big events here like was jfk murdered for trying to like expose the truth about et's and they're saying like uh don't worry about that but let me tell you some really juicy tidbits about you know uh, <laughs> yeah, like bobby um, kennedy that- and marilyn Monroe's personal life and like um, yes. Okay. And that like... <laughs> exact thing didn't really make it into into the, the the Mothman prophecies. Let me see, like what actually like he how he rendered that in the Mothman prophecies because it was a bit different. Like I I was compelled to look that up because like the way he phrased in the Mothman prophecies like made it sound very very different. Uh, I went out to Mount Misery and hypnotized Jane. She was a good subject, and I performing various tests to assure myself that was she was really in a deep trance. I began to ask her subtle questions about Apple, one of the aliens, and his friend. To my utter amazement, the impossible happened. The control was taken away from me. I couldn't direct the session. Instead, I found myself talking directly to Apple through Jane. He wanted to talk about Marilyn Monroe and Robert Kennedy. I didn't want to gossip, I insisted, but wanted some hard facts in the overall situation. Apple persisted, warning me that Kennedy was in grave danger. Where was he talking from? He said he parked nearby in his Cadillac. He made some specific predictions about pending plane crashes and returned to Maryland and Kennedy. So according to this, he did say uh, Bobby Kennedy was in grave danger, but in his actual notes in the hypnosis session, he doesn't mention that. But So maybe it did happen and he didn't think to take it down. But uh, just to return to uh, this thing that he was writing to his friends. So he was saying that, you know, this, there's going to be this Middle East attack. Uh, shortly after this crime is committed, there will be a massive power failure affecting millions of people. It will probably begin either on the night of the 26th or the 27th. This blackout will be of unusually long duration. It may last for as long as three days. They kept referring to actually using the terminology of like three days of darkness, you know, uh, something mm. that we've heard uh, often about the queue lately. The power failure, I guess it's, you know, a common thing, but the power failure may be accompanied by awesome astronomical phenomena. The sun itself may be blotted out during this period in a Ooh. repast of the days of darkness recorded in all historical documents of 2000 years ago. During this crisis, strange unidentified flying lights will appear in all quarters of the world. So, all quarters of the world. There you go. These lights will okay. flash signals repeatedly in the following pattern. 7, 4, 12, 1. If all this takes place, there may also be a total blackout of the world's communications, radios, telephones, etc. Trump will take over and he will say that Hillary is coming in. <laughs> yeah, uh, the EMP should, bomb will go off. Uh, yeah, well, literally, that's what they were talking about, an EM event. That's how it's described. Wow. In prophecies. Uh, should these events come to pass, I will disappear for several days. Please do not circulate these predictions. There is no need to start any rumors. The existence of these predictions should, could cause me extreme embarrassment if these things do not occur. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, um, no shit. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, he also, like, wrote 
typewritten notes like that he didn't mail uh but he sent you know to the aliens uh they were like meant for the aliens but uh he didn't actually like send them out he was like hopefully the aliens will read my mind he would say okay like, uh, well like where would you send them uh, I guess maybe to the contactee that like, okay. was oh, okay. I the see. aliens. So gotcha. that would kind of, uh, you know, be, yeah, one possibility. But, you know, yeah, hmm. I guess it also, uh, yeah, it does raise the question of, like, uh, yeah. But, the, I mean, the fact that he, like, never, they were supposed to be, like, kind of borderline physical beings, but he never actually met them face-to-face is kind of, like, you know, uh, something. Yeah. So uh, he says, uh, dear friends, I will not mail this letter to you. If you receive uh, it, uh, if you receive its contents through your own methods, let me know by ringing my telephone once when I finish writing this. You seem to have some way of listening <laughs> to my thoughts, and I would like you to verify this is happening. There is not much time wow. left. Even now, the people in the Vatican are preparing for the events of this coming week. The Hold throne of Saint Peter okay. is being readied. Pope Paul is no doubt praying and making ready to face his certain fate. Can we change <laughs> destiny? Can we deliver the Pope safely? All uh, are all the events of our world determined in advance. If you have the power, or if your Lord has the power to alter the great plan, would you actually try to do this? Tonight on the phone, I suggested that you black out the home airport or interfere in some other way with the Pope's flight before he actually leaves home. This seems to me to be the best way to forestall the prophecy disaster. The only other way would be to find and destroy the conspirators before they can harm the Pope. I don't think any amount of security precautions and bodyguards can protect the Pope once he is in Turkey. If the Pope cancels his plans to visit Turkey, we will know then that you somehow reached him. In previous letters, I have expressed my concern over the great EM effect being planned. Okay. I understand this plan and I fear it. I fear that it will cre- create chaos and might even lead to accidental war between the great nations of the earth. I know that you have been preparing for these days for many years, perhaps for centuries, and do not expect you to alter your plans because I, a mere mortal man, and not a very important <laughs> one at that, ask you to. But is there not some way for you to modify your plan? Is there not some way you can impress your existence upon us without creating terror and chaos? Please believe that I appreciate very much that you have listened to me at all and that you have taken my words into your counsels. But I cannot take responsibility for your actions. I cannot truly advise you. I can only offer my own humble opinions and help when I, and, and however I can. The enemy is at the gates. The die is cast. If you are to save man from the fate already planned, you must begin now. I stand ready to serve you. But always remember that I must serve man first. I do not reject you. <laughs> Let me know what I can do. So, wow, that that's that's such a more satisfying passage than like that's what I wanted from Dr. Stephen Greer when he was talking about making meaningful contact. That uh, whatever whatever that thing you just read was it definitely <laughs> had uh, felt uh, meaningful to yeah, him like at he, least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he it does yeah. seem like he believes it for sure. Uh, he's 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 into it. Um, yeah, there was another one where he said like, uh, you know, why can't you just like rain gossamer down on the holy places of the Middle East instead? Like, uh, uh, rain doing... gossamer. Yeah, like what uh, is what is gossamer? Uh, it's like you know, uh, kind of like a, a sort of material, like some kind of filmy substance, uh, like. Uh, you know, I think that there actually have been like 40 events where like uh, the sort of insubstantial matter has fallen uh, down like uh, 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 like from the air, like, uh, you know, in, in history uh, and, uh, you know, like uh, it's yeah, like I guess it's just some kind of like weird uh, filmy substance, uh, like a silvery 
sort of substance like uh, a lot of the time you hear like butterflies have gossamer wings you know so, oh like, okay yeah that like i have heard that oh no oh uh, god yeah. oh no yeah why does he want a mothy film to be like laid over all of the is that going to protect them from the emp maybe i i think it was supposed to be a signal uh if I search for Appel, uh, which is the name of the guy, maybe there's on JohnKeel.com, there's a lot of copies of uh, Apple's like messages uh, and they're like written in this bizarre, like all caps hand, uh, you know, where he talks about all these things. And he filled out like questionnaires for, for John Keel and everything, uh, you know, uh, trying to uh, like, uh, you know, uh, answer his questions about, you know, humanity. There's a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, it's just a, uh, people look into but uh yeah uh, i'm trying to dig up that uh gossamer letter i thought that i'd save in the work flowy but uh you know um yeah i guess uh yeah they also consistently said that he should get married to um the uh like woman who was contacting him or contacting oh. them you know like uh wait so that wait, yeah they wait. really so yeah the, the so the woman was relaying these messages to him yes and saying all oh, the aliens are saying that we should get married yes uh okay. exactly that's exactly cool. what happened uh right. <laughs> word. yeah and he like made he wrote letters to them like pleading and explaining like please don't control my mind and make me like mate with this woman because i don't think that would lead to a successful relationship like oh my god you i know, love this uh, wow okay yeah yeah don't yeah ugh. Uh, um, <laughs> there's a lot going yeah, on there. Like, he's like, I understand that you could control my mind and like force me to marry uh, Timna, which is what they called her. Her real name uh -huh. was like Jay, which I don't even think that was her real name, but that was like the name that uh, Keel knew her by, referred to her by. But okay, um, yeah, like uh, uh, they called her Timna, uh, Tim apostrophe Na, um, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I guess I told him that Mothman was coming to Long Island, and he said I am concerned about Mothman's arrival on Long Island. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was concerned well, I yeah. mean, was he going to Montauk? Because the, the, I'm he was going sensing... to Mount Misery in Suffolk County. I've actually been there before. There actually is like a like a there is there's a Mount Misery on Long Island. Yeah, it's the highest point oh, on Long boy. Island. Um, wow. And uh, to this day, actually, <laughs> there is a uh, like sort of legend around Sweet Hollow Road, which is like very close by that. Like, you know, if you keep your car in neutral, like ghosts will push it. Oh uh, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's a that, there's a road in Santa Cruz that had a similar legend uh, for us. Yeah, uh, yeah, that would that would make sense. It defied but, gravity, yeah. uh, I, or I, I think actually no, it got like commodified. It's I think it's called the mystery spot. You see uh, bumper stickers for it everywhere, but I think it, it's technically it's it's like an optical illusion. Like it looks like you're facing downhill, but then like you roll upwards and like it blows your mind, man. Hmm. Yeah, uh, it was know. something like that. Yeah, like you're under a spooky bridge. It was kind of some kind of thing mm -hmm. uh, like that. But yeah, hmm. I'm having trouble finding his Gossamer letter. But yeah, he definitely did say it. Uh, one of his many appeals to the aliens. Uh, but it was basically in the same tone as that, you know, just trying to plead with them about how to best work out, uh, you know, their uh, their uh, plan to, I guess, reveal themselves and, and, and do this massive days of darkness uh, and mm -hmm. manifestation.
so I I think uh, as uh, as we reach the, uh, the the mothy climax here, I think we have to talk about the one uh, disaster that did occur, uh, which was the collapse of the Silver Bridge in 1967. The yeah. grand um, like punctuation to yeah, the age of the Mothman. Yeah, we kind of touched on it before, um, but, uh, yeah, like, uh, John Keel, like, of course, you know, as we talked about, he had received, like, all of these, uh, predictions from, uh, these, uh, like, sundry beings, uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of them, some of them, like, kind of, like, vaguely, uh came true but Mm -hmm. uh for the most part like they uh you know uh didn't strictly uh happen Mm -hmm. um but uh you know he was basically like he had heard uh, let me see if i can find the actual part of the book where he discusses it but the aliens basically had told him that lbj was gonna plug in the christmas tree on the white house lawn and at that very moment uh the uh aliens were going to create like a huge blackout across like the entire country um (laughs) and like possibly like across uh the world yeah here it is uh he says the u.s air force lied to me the telephone company lied to me the ufo entities lied to me my own (laughs) senses had on occasion lied to me as december 15th drew closer i kept my mouth shut and told no one that i expected a major blackout after all, Pope Paul had escaped assassination in Turkey. None of the chemical factories along the Ohio had exploded. Maybe this is just another mischievous error of prophecy and a description of something in the past or far in the future. A security officer for the Transit Authority and an old friend of mine, Joe Woodvine, happened to drop by my apartment late on the afternoon of the 15th. I hadn't seen him in a long time and he knew nothing about UFOs and my capers. I didn't mention the blackout until Dan Drassen stopped in. Joe listened in open-mouthed amazement as I explained to Dan that I expected the nation to blow a fuse the moment President Johnson pulled that switch. (laughs) Dan was as far gone as I was. He glanced nervously at his watch and decided that if there was going to be a blackout, he preferred to be in his own apartment. (laughs) Maybe he didn't, like, believe that and just was like, I need to get out of the way from this guy. But anyway, uh, Joe became very silent, probably wondering if we were dangerous. Dan left around 5 p.m. I switched on the television. At 5.45, the brief White House ceremony began. I broke out my candles and flashlights. Joe watched me worriedly. President Johnson delivered the customary little speech to the crowd on the White House lawn. Reach for the switch. Rid the Christmas tree. Uh, I guess, no, and. I guess it looks like a rid, but anyway. And the Christmas mm-hmm. tree blazed with light. The crowd oohed and odd as if they had never seen a Christmas tree before. My lights <laughs> did not go out. Joe studied me silently. Suddenly, an announcer's voice came over the crowd noises. We interrupt this program, he announced flatly, for a special bulletin. A bridge laden with rush hour traffic has collapsed at Gallipoli, Illinois. Uh, sorry, Gallipoli, Ohio. I don't know why I said that. Uh, further details as soon as they are available. I fell back in my chair. There was no bridge at Gallipoli, Ohio. The only bridge on that stretch of the river was a 700-foot silver bridge at Point Pleasant. The bridge I had crossed a thousand times. Oh and then my God. again, I finally muttered softly, those lousy bastards have done it again. They knew this was going to happen, and when. <laughs> and they gave me all that bilge about a power failure. They knew. They just didn't want me to be able to warn anyone. They? Who's they, John? Joe asked gently. The uh-huh. phone rang. It was Dan. Did you hear? I heard. I guess that was what this was all about, Dan. 
that's what it was all about. So, wow. Okay. You know. So, well, yeah, that's a, uh, I, I can understand why he felt very uh, insulted by, <laughs> it's like, yeah. he, he expected, he expected Lyndon Johnson to be like, it was a mistake to yeah, test the Mothman. <laughs> yeah, he definitely thought that to be a mistake. Um, yeah, to, yes, that definitely was uh, going to happen. But instead, um, that's still that that is weird that he thought that I mean, I guess it's not like the bridge collapsed at the exact moment that Lyndon Johnson plugged no, in the Christmas tree after. Um, yeah, basically, like none of the prophecies, the prophecies that he were get, was given, they really like only very vaguely like could be considered to have like possibly like a born a resemblance to reality and there is like a machine gun aspect to these things where like mm-hmm. you know they told them a bunch of stuff like ivan sanderson's gonna die soon uh but unfortunately <laughs> he did not die anything remotely soon after that was said you know um yeah you yeah, got to uh, write some great prefaces some yeah great exactly he, got, he moved on to write that preface yes and mm-hmm. to you know um yeah he uh, so but you know yeah it is eerie that there was this aspect of prophecy and like this whole you know expecting this horrible event and you're certain something horrible is going to happen that these beings could see the future and then you know and like kind of begging them like being so wrapped up in like their ability to control like these horrible events i mean it must have been psychologically devastating in a way because you can see like that he really was like into it and then this happened you know i mean there's something to it yeah uh such so, a, a kind of close yeah. but no cigar kind of uh, a sensation to it. Like if only he had predicted that you know disaster was going to strike the area around Point Pleasant, then people would have, you know, rallied around him like a prophet. It's actually something that like the movie, the Mothman prophecies, Richard Gere, like captures mm-hmm. pretty well. Like I saw that movie, like you know, as you said, I'm like a big moth head. I've been a moth head like since I was pretty mm-hmm. young, and I saw that movie in theaters in 2002. Uh, like, I think that might have been the first R-rated movie I ever saw or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember the poster. And, very iconic. It's like a Rorschach blot that's a yeah. moth outline. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's, like, uh, and that movie, like, actually does a decent job of, like, capturing, like, you know, I think it was disappointed at the time because I was, like, a kid. And, like, I, you know, I don't think I had even read the Mothman Prophecies at that point, like, the book. And I was expecting kind of, like, you know, something about, like, your cryptid Mothman where like he's a creature and like he's flapping around but like really like that isn't really so much in the movie and it's more about like the like richard Gere like losing his mind over the idea that like you know these beings have the secret to what's going to happen like Mm. there's kind of an emotional hook where like his wife died after seeing some kind of like red eyes in a car accident and like you know he's kind of like oh you know uh, i wish i could have prevented this blah 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 so that's like the kind of psychological hook but uh, the sweaty guy who wrote it, you know, the Salieri uh, guy who wrote it, actually did, like, a pretty good job of, like, conveying, like, what is interesting about the John Keel book because, yeah, the phenomenon is uh, very, like, nebulous. And, like, what makes him go nuts is that there's even a part where he, like, basically, like, humiliates himself because he's, like, in the book, like, a respectable journalist, you know? He's not, like, a ufologist or, or in the movie, that is. Uh, he's, like, a respectable, uh, you know, journalist or something, and he goes up to uh like this uh, senator or something and is like senator like this uh you know thing is gonna blow up like this power plant's gonna blow up like you have to Uh get away or whatever like like, don't go in there he's like what are you doing klein like stop this like and like nothing happens and like you know Uh he has to like go back to like new york and humiliation and whoever i think laura linney is like his love interest and she has to like plead with him like you know 
like John Ke- like you know John Keel stand in like or whatever like John Klein or something like uh-huh, you have yeah. to like let this go like you know yeah it's uh, destroying whoever, like, it's destroying at one us point, like the entity like Indrid Cold which is like one of the many entities that appears in Mothman Prophecy yeah. is like saying like if you wait by your phone at this time like your wife will talk to you and like Laura <laughs> Linney is like whoever is going to talk to you on that phone like you know it's not your wife like oh uh you know like i don't know like what god is but he has nothing to do with injured cold or whatever you know like uh mm, wow. and he like basically has to it's different from it's kind of like uh you know like in a lot of these detective stories you want like a clear answer and stuff and like especially in movies like that with a mystery but like it is a little bit different in that like there's it's all about like having to let go of like wanting an explanation because otherwise you'll lose your mind mm-hmm. um yeah but yeah, yeah like uh so yeah like uh, it turns out like the same kind of thing happens where there's a fake where like you know he thought one thing was going to happen but it turned out to be this bridge and yeah you get the kind of it does convey the sense of how you know uh like when you're wrapped up in all this stuff like in this whole world of all these like mibs and these weird like you know uh uh bizarre uh behaving ufologists and like possibly like government interference and stuff like that you know like and just being very paranoid like you know that could really well, be it, uh, a devastating it, thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's got a resonance to like kind of the uh, what we kind of recently experienced with like QAnon and expecting that like because they they did look forward to January sixth as oh they a, did a day yeah. that was going to change everything. It just then it's like that day did change everything, but in kind of the exact opposite way that they no, thought. And like uh, it was like a cool joke. Wow. Like, like, like uh, I guess you could say like like moths to a flame. <laughs> they did yes they went like mo- it's true yes uh definitely it's like there's uh, there is a kind of undercurrent of like deception like like an even a kind of a like a satanic sense of humor uh, of trickery going on i mean yeah well, maybe q you know, is an ai god like that guy said maybe he is one of these entities like because that's the thing about like uh all these mibs they always have this weird electronic kind of quality to their voice you know like mm-hmm. uh you know, maybe uh, Q is uh, is one of them, or maybe you know it's a uh, part of that same kind of like uh, John Titor type psyop, like you know we talked about in our Q episode, like uh, with all the people like I'm a time traveler, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of yeah. what the Mothman thing was, like I'm a time traveler, like I know the future, basically. A little bit, they know like, if they you know, know the future, they have some kind yeah, of access more or less. to like well, the they forward timeline. Ha- yeah, they're outside space and time, so in a way, yeah, they are time travelers more or less. So it's kind of the same thing, but like on a much you know, uh, it does kind of help you see the trajectory or help one to imagine a possible trajectory of, like, the PSYOP where, like, in this you kind of see John Keel, like, being just completely driven out of his mind to the point where he's, like, on his typewriter, like, sitting there, like, you know, leaving aside the question of, like, uh, you know, uh, the reality of these phenomena. Like, like if you think about it in a PSYOP way, like, he's sitting there at his typewriter, like, they've got him completely. Like, even if it's, if it's a PSYOP by aliens or a PSYOP by uh, alien imposters, like, they've just totally got, like, he's sitting at his typewriter, like, begging them like yeah. begging them like you know no, like with complete conviction like please don't like let destroy humanity you know like this, mm-hmm. uh so it really like you know and then you can see like later on and it's uh, the same thing with like you know 4chan like first it's kind of like a joke you know like oh i'm a uh, time traveler blah blah like harry reed mm-hmm. is gonna lead like an army of democrats against like an army of republicans <laughs> like and there's gonna be a civil yeah. war like you know uh, it's gonna start and like such and such you know like stuff like that uh, you can see how like both of those things kind of evolve where it's like from like one person or from like kind of a joke or playing around to something that has mass potential, like either like in a UFO cult movement, um, a Stephen Greer type thing to the Stars mm-hmm. Academy type thing, or like, you know, something like uh, like Q. Uh, so, yeah, there definitely is 
uh, a parallel there. And Q even sounds like a name that one of these aliens would have, honestly. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, so, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, uh, mysterious. Um, but actually that, so that that's something that is kind of interesting. That Like, I guess, ended up, because of the bridge collapse, uh, the silver bridge collapsing and 46 people dying, etc., and I guess along with John Keel's work in general, like being like we're, when we think of Mothman, we think of prophesying disasters. So basically, I guess to the extent that any kind of Mothmen have uh, arrived on the scene in subsequent decades, it usually pops up in the preceding hours or days before a gigantic disaster. And like there's one example uh, that we looked into a little bit was in Russia. And there is an article in the Free Georgia uh, newspaper from May 2002. And we have a uh, an, an evil AI translated version of it into English. But uh, I'll just read. So, you know, just like how UFOs obviously were popping up all over the Soviet Union, uh, wouldn't you know it, Mothman? Um, may have as well. So it says that it's called the Ghosts of Disasters and says UFO scientists claim to have predicted an accident in America, an explosion in houses in Moscow, and several hundred more natural disasters and terrorist attacks, but nobody listened to them. A month ago, the movie Mothman, I think it means Mothman Prophecies, was yeah, released on the screens uh, of cinemas. It's a 2002 article. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, based, according to the creators, on real events. The film is based on the research of the famous ufologist John this Keel. Is, I think who, Google Translate, so there might be like some yes. weird things. Yeah, like, Some weird uh, things, yeah. yeah. It yeah. just adds more flavor yeah. to it. Uh, who, since 1976, has been studying paranormal phenomena called, quote, moths in ufology. <laughs> in simple terms, we are talking about creatures with wings, similar to angels, which people see on the eve of major disasters. According to Keel, moths were seen in the American city of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, shortly before the collapse of the bridge over the river uh, killed several dozen drivers languishing in a traffic jam, as well as in the vicinity of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant shortly before the disaster in 1986. Um... Which I think yeah, you mentioned think that I, the the, yeah. the screenwriter says he like made that up. Uh, yeah, because like in the in the Mothman Prophecies movie, there's a point where like there's actually like a you know obviously the character John Klein is standing for John Keel, but like then he meets some other guy named like Alexander Leak or something, which is Keel backwards, uh, mm-hmm. who is like kind of the <laughs> cool. the wise mentor, but he's like I don't want anything to do with this. Like leave me alone. Like you know, like get at like get away from this business, you know. And he's yeah, like they yeah. see them all the time, like these Mothmen. Like at this, you know, it gives like a list of like you know appearances of Mothmen, like before the Mount St. Helens eruption or like what. I don't oh know, wow! Stuff oh like no! That. You know, yeah, like, okay. Like Chernobyl's of, like, on famous it. Disasters. Yeah. yeah, and well, did, uh, did Mothman, Mothman, uh, yeah, Mothman uh, working for the CIA do Chernobyl? Uh, hmm, did they yeah. did they astrally project some Mothman agents uh, as wreckers? Uh, <laughs> I don't. I who can say? Um, but yeah, uh, but All apparently I know is that, the, that guy claimed that it, yeah. like you know he made that up like as part a detail in the movie, and then people started to say like, oh my god, Mothman. Was is, yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, there is yeah. a separate angle that like CIA agents like did it, but the, there I don't believe I've never heard 
accusations from like the Russian Soviet side that there was you know sightings of a Mothman. Uh, but mm. uh, I'm I'm I remain open to it. Was it. Obviously, but they were very negative about Mothman stuff. I think you know because uh, or you know UFOs. They thought right like for the most part there was a little well bit no because remember they 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 had us that scientists go on tv uh in 1968 and like call on soviet citizens as like your civic duty to like report all of ufo sightings because there were a bunch of them happening and that was i think mm-hmm. the first time that they kind of acknowledged uh, and yeah, so kind of encouraged point, it to some degree yeah they kind of have shifted yeah i guess they yeah 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 but mm-hmm. but at this point it it goes uh this article goes into 1999 and actually i guess where the, the FSB uh, got a little bit, um, uh, started taking certain things seriously. Uh, they write, as the correspondents of uh, ZHG, this magazine, managed to find out, in Russia it has been known about the mysterious appearance of the so-called moths for a long time. Several UFO organizations are studying them. One of them, the Russian House Center for Ufology and Bioenergy, in the summer of 1999, sent prophecies about a catastrophe on the Kashirskoye Highway to the Moscow government by registered mail. At that time, no one took the scientists' assumptions seriously. And what happened a month after that, everyone knows. The terrorists blew up the house, from the rubble of which they removed 109 dead. There was a fear that the FSB would come to us and accuse us of involvement in the terrorist attacks, says the head of the center, Alexander Galtsev. It is because of fear that we cannot prevent catastrophes. Some of the prophets are afraid of being accused of schizophrenia, while others are simply afraid of the consequences. Meanwhile, the Mothman was seen by residents of neighboring houses in the area of the Kaiserskoye Highway. And this is documented, exclamation point. For example, a few days before what happened on the air of the radio station Echo of Moscow, a man called, who, by the way, was mistaken and warned that it was dangerous to live there, and that he had had such visions. There are other eyewitnesses. Our employees talked with residents of neighboring houses, and we managed to find two pensioners who did not know each other who told that they saw from the windows of their houses late at night a certain black bird with the outlines of human arms, legs, and head. In his book, ufologist John Keel most accurately described moths. In his words, these are humanoid creatures that are the harbingers of catastrophes and natural disasters and by their appearance warn people of misfortune. Sometimes they come into contact on a subconscious level. It seems to people that they are talking. Their mannerisms and speech are stern and formal, somewhat automatic and comic, but menacing nonetheless. One of the theories popular in the West claims that moths are hallucinations experienced by people feeling trouble or having experienced a catastrophe. Uh, Subheader, the priests call them angels. Many American newspapers specializing in anomalous phenomena after the famous 9-11 terrorist attack published interviews with dozens of eyewitnesses who claimed to have seen strange creatures in the sky near the Twin Towers, similar to huge birds with human legs or, conversely, people with wings. According to ufologists, this was just another phenomenon of moths. There are hundreds of such cases, says Alexander Galtsev, and the main thing that we managed to prove is that it is possible, impossible to prevent them. After all, this is not even clairvoyance. The moth is completely random to people living at the site of a future disaster or in its vicinity. It can be seen by one or two, as well as dozens of people, and the only thing they can do is to flee from a dangerous place to another area, city, country. To warn someone is simply pointless. I talked about these phenomena with a priest, rector of the Church of the Holy Trinity in Moscow. 
he put forward an interesting version. Maybe the moths are actually guardian angels who warn only believers and sinless people about misfortune. This theory is interesting, but like many others, it is simply improvable. To date, there is not a single photograph or videotape depicting the Mothman. It is not even known whether he is one or several. After all, it appears in various parts of the planet, moving in an unknown way, disappearing and manifesting itself as an unidentified flying object. Here's an example. Our colleagues from the Tbilisi UFO organization sent us at the end of April materials that a certain person comes to the Church of St. David who is mistaken for mentally ill. He claims that the church is in danger and asked to stop services. Allegedly, a ghost with wings told him about this, which comes to his house at night. On April 25th, an earthquake hit Georgia, damaged 130 architectural monuments, including the Church of St. David, built in the 19th century, and just a few days later, a message came that they saw a mothman in China. A China northern liner MD-82 crashed near the port city of Dalian in the northeast of the country. The Beijing Morning newspaper published conversations with residents of the Dalian neighborhood who claimed to know how the disaster will happen. A person who looked like a moth appeared to someone in a dream. Some comma. No, actually, this is a great translated final sentence. Okay. A, a, a person who looked like a moth appeared to someone in a dream. Comma. Someone saw a ghost right in his house. The end. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> so amazing. I mean, right. uh, okay. okay. Now I'm I'm starting to get convinced that whatever the Mothman is, he actually is a warning. Like he's a canary in a coal mine. Uh, to mm-hmm. you know, pun intended. Uh, for Appalachia, but you know, uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? Did you know it? He seemed the Mothman. Uh, do we think the Mothman is sympathetic to either a you know like Eurasia or Asia or communism or something like that? Do you think the Mothman is like anti-American? I don't know what the Mothman's all about because I mean like <laughs> can we take anything because according to like all of Keel's contacts Mothman was like an evil vampire that was mm-hmm. like all about like blood and uh you know like uh, needed to be repelled by the cross he had those uh, hypnotic red eyes uh yeah, th- oh, is there some sublimated like anti-communist hysteria maybe happening with Mothman yeah. um I don't know like uh hmm, maybe I mean I guess in a way like they're is just like yeah maybe it's a general kind of uh yeah it might be good to talk about the paratrooper thing because maybe it's like kind of yes. like a red dawn like <laughs> but, a red yeah, dawn but, like paranoia that they're gonna like parachute down like tr- uh parachute in like you yeah. know a bunch of mo- like uh maybe on the back riding on the backs of moths um uh but yeah yeah, I yeah. Mean, like uh yeah i mean i don't think it's necessarily it would be interesting if like there was a it, like uh it, it would be like it would be interesting if there was like a massive ufo psyop like happening in point pleasant and then like incidentally like unrelatedly like a mothman like appeared and like you know all these agencies <laughs> were like what the fuck like what is mothman, oh my god like, what yeah, is mothman yeah. doing here like um yeah i mean like uh i tend to think like that again i certainly don't think that it was just that people were on lsd or like whatever you know some bullshit Definitely like not. that like I think that something was going on. I think that, if anything, I almost feel that UFOs are very nebulous things. Like, it's very, mm-hmm. like, a, a UFO basically is an unidentified flying object. Uh, the Mothman is a little bit different. I mean, it was like a wildlife area, you know, who knows? Like, but the eyewitness accounts, they might have been punched up a little bit, but I really do think those people saw something. Yeah. Uh, and, like, in terms of the MIBs, like, you could take it in multiple different ways. Like, I think the MIBs is a bit 
vaguer, especially once there's like a little bit of hubbub around this wind creature and stuff like that. Exactly. You know, like who, of, yeah, who can say yeah. the sincerity or the motives of yeah, anybody I mean, that descends on the small town? Yeah. Um, acting like there's somebody who knows something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, well, I mean, at, at the same time, I guess if we we should include here, uh, you know, or maybe maybe before diving off like the the liminal uh deep end or whatever that there's like one other theory that was published in soldier of fortune magazine in 2014 and i wasn't able to find the actual article but i guess it's a short one and it's pretty straight to the point i don't know on what uh evidence they're they're basing kind of like their assertion but basically uh, the headline of the article was UFO Mystery Solved. Mothmen were actually Green Berets. And I guess uh, the author, Harold Hutchinson, wrote that Special Operations Forces near Point Pleasant, West Virginia, were testing high-altitude, low-opening, halo parachuting for use in Vietnam. According to Hutchinson, the jumpers used luminous paint to be seen during the tests. Many of the tests of that procedure occurred near Point Pleasant. I guess this is a quote from the article. The jumpers used paint that temporarily glowed in the dark to keep track of personnel. What the Green Berets making those jumps hadn't figured on was the fact that people on the ground could see it as well. This included the amorous couple who made the report on the 15th of November 1966. The luminous paint worked so well in the tests, Special Forces troops used it in Southeast Asia. And I guess that is what they're saying, like, basically... Um, uh, it, yeah. that would I mean, explain that like all the does not explain it because like mothman like took off from the ground which like paratroopers don't do uh well that so... then you start to get like a little bit more into kind of like speculative like were they testing out technology um i know there's been there jet was some packs. discussion of jetpacks yeah basically uh, okay. which i mean okay yeah and, and you know of course like if you had like a parachute kind of like maybe it got stuck in but the trees or something in their in your jetpack like chase a car at 100 miles an hour squeaking like a mouse loudly and then like maybe it was like an operation wandering soul kind of thing of like maybe we should test this Mm -hmm. on people on civilians who have no idea what it is and um i guess uh so i think actually the the archivist you mentioned uh, doug skinner uh they soldier of fortune maybe either or maybe this blogger on cryptozoonews.com reached out to him um and i guess he said i'm not convinced that every mothman report can be chalked up to a paratrooper but it's a plausible explanation for some and certainly for some of the ufo reports there's a lot going on in point pleasant that year and uh i guess uh the november sightings This author writes, the November sightings of Mothman hardly match a parachuting Green Beret. On November 1st, 1966, several National Guardsmen saw a Mothman described as a large, brown man-shaped figure on on a limb of a tree near the armory on Camp Conley Road, Point Peasant, West Virginia. On the 12th, five men digging at the cemetery near Clandenin, Clandenin, uh, West Virginia, saw a flying, brown, human-shaped object. Then on the 15th, the first widely reported recorded sighting occurred when two couples in the tnt area near the old power plant outside point pleasant saw a large gray man-shaped bird-like creature with reflective blazing red eyes and 10-foot wingspan and you know pursued them at high speeds and uh but uh yeah and they they uploaded a a patch from mac v sog you know the special operations group in vietnam and uh i mean 
you know, looking at that, it's basically, it looks kind of like a Wendigo or some kind of vampire beast uh, with, like, dagger yeah. fangs for teeth and, like, blood dripping down it. And yeah, these, like, very demonic red eyes and, like, a little green beret cap. Yeah, it's right? much more of, like, a humanoid uh, vampire. I mean, it is, like, a mm-hmm. sus creature. And there were, like, things, like, uh, I remember there was, like, an op that happened, like, in the Philippines involving, like, an oswang, which is kind of, like, a vampire-type creature um, that, like, they were uh, kind of afraid of. Actually, this might be, uh, we might go a little bit long, but uh, this might uh, be, like, a, a, a good time to, to bring this up. Because I think mm-hmm. that the, the vampire aspect of this is interesting because there is some Mothman vampire overlap, which is already kind of dipped into. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, I'll just, uh, yeah, it's a, we could maybe go into this in greater detail later on. But uh, there is, uh, just if you Google Aswang uh, PSYOP, uh, th- what comes up is a uh, an Esquire article uh, about uh, how the, the, uh, the CIA used the Aswang to win a war in the Philippines. Um, How do you spell that? Os- O-S-W-A-N? Uh, it's A-S-W-A-N-G. Okay, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So, How the CIA used Oswang to win a war. Wow. Yes. Uh, staying away from conventional, uh, straying away from conventional search and destroy tactics, the CIA thought of an ingenious strategy to add folklore, specifically the Oswang, to his coterie of propaganda weaponry. This psychological warfare took place from 1950 to 1954 in the provinces of Pampanga, Nueva Ecija, and Tarlac. I hope Mm -hmm. I'm pronouncing that right, but, you know. Considering the rural nature of Philippine society in this epoch, belief in the Aswang was strong, along with other supernatural entities such as the Ancanto and the Mananangal. We need Kate here. But uh, given the superstitious nature of (laughs) Filipinos, some will argue that believing in these creatures could continue to this day. Thus, the Aswang became the perfect candidate for the CIA to take advantage of. The plan was simple. A pile of dead bodies, usually deceased hook fighters, would be left by the side of the road in a busy area in the province. And on those mangled bodies, holes were punctured to resemble animal or Aswang bites. The terrible sight convinced anyone who came across that this was a nighttime monsters of Filipino folklore that committed the atrocious act. And surprisingly, or perhaps unsurprisingly, the plan worked. Reports revealed that the townspeople who were once either indifferent or sympathetic to the hook cause were undoubtedly terrified. The same pattern of holes, animal bites, and carcasses were seen across the countryside in quick succession. To the superstitious, the hook battleground was a haunted place filled with ghosts and eerie creatures. In wow. his memoir, Lansdale recounted how they would kidnap one hook, puncture his neck with two holes, hang his body by the heels, drain him of blood, and dump the course on a trail that other hooks would pass by. When the hooks discover their dead comrade, they promptly pack up and relocate to a different hill. Oh my god. Uh, yes. And this Another is, tactic, oh yeah, yeah, this, this is, is crazy. Oh, this Another is crazy. Another that Lansdale and his team uh, used was the Eye of God, which would be painted on a wall facing the house that the hook sympathizes in the dead of night. The mysterious presence of these malevolent eyes the next morning had a sharply sobering effect. Uh, God, uh, and and this is Ed, this is Ed yeah. Lansdale, like of you know uh, Black Eagle, like Yamashita's Gold, like uh, I think wasn't the Quiet American, the Graham Greene book based on his life, uh, uh, like doing stuff in Vietnam and Southeast Asia. He was a major. He's like a major player, and also yeah, from everything I think we read some quotes about him. Uh, I forget, maybe it was on the Lombardi episode. He was like a psycho. 
Um, I guess, yeah, like literally a psycho, like just murdering people and making it look like they were killed by a vampire um, and Oswong. Basically using cattle mutilation tactics. But yeah, this like the the patch that was worn by this uh, one group of uh, Green Berets, uh, Shell Burst US Mac V SOG Vietnam, uh, the US. Yeah, Mac V SOG, a special operations uh, group. Yeah, yeah, does it is like literally like some kind of like hairy bearded uh a skull type vampire uh thing uh there's a great like related to this and this sort of cattle mutilation stuff there is a great uh part of the mothman prophecies which goes into this like we already talked a little bit about um how like mothman uh was like vampiric and had a certain uh a penchant for blood um and uh you know could possibly be repelled by uh crosses uh in the classic mm-hmm vampire fashion but there's another part of the book where john keel uh talks about like a a whole incident with mothman and uh some uh possible uh blood encounter i think i opened the wrong thing here i have so many uh mothly tabs open uh, (laughs) i know know. uh, you know uh difficult to uh navigate is this what i'm looking for um yeah here we go so he writes, yeah, among my grimmer memories of 66 to 67 are those times when I knelt in farm fields to examine dead animals, particularly dogs, who had suffered amazingly clean and expert cuts. These deaths were not localized, but came in nationwide waves simultaneously with UFO waves, you know, classic cattle mutilation thing. Mm-hmm. This pattern has been repeated ever since. Prior to the October 1973 flying saucer flap, there was an epidemic of animal deaths throughout the Midwest from Minnesota to Mississippi, causing quite a stir in the local press. Two points confounding investigators have been the absence of blood and footprints, uh, the Kansas City Times reported. Even on warm days with the carcass freshly killed, there has been no bleeding on or around the animal. Some believe the cattle were drained of blood. No human tracks have been detected near each mutilation, even in fresh snow. But as in previous waves of animal mutilations disappearances, authorities tried to blame witchcraft cults, cattle rustlers, and dog nappers who sell the poor animals to hospitals for experimental purposes. But the total absence of evidence of any kind seems to rule out these conventional explanations. Europe has been plagued with phantom animal killers for generations. Sweden had a plague of this sort in 1972. The extensive vampire legends of Middle Europe were undoubtedly based on such incidents. Vampires were cloaked beings, often accompanied by strange aerial lights, who could paralyze humans and animals in their tracks. As recently as 20 years ago, there were a series of vampire killings in Yugoslavia. Four Mm. bloodless human bodies were found with slashed throats in a field near Klek Mountain, according to one report. As I have noted, UFOs, hairy monsters, and mothmen all appear to have the ability to ferret out human females during their menstrual period. I began to seriously wonder if blood and flesh were not vital ingredients in the mysterious transmogrification process. Did energies from the superspectrum need earthly biological materials to construct temporary entities? It does seem as if many UFO and monster sightings are staged as distractions, luring crowds of people to places like the TNT area while animal mutilations and disappearances are taking place almost unnoted only a few miles away. Soon after the Mothman's first appearance in November 1966, police found the body of a dog in the TNT area. It was completely charred, and the surrounding area was unburned. I wondered if it might not have been sacrificed in some secret magical ritual by some unknown warlock. A Mm. ritual that brought Mothman into being? The UFO waves in the 1960s were accompanied by the occult explosion, the rapid spread of witchcraft and magical practices. An interesting side effect of the flying saucer phenomenon is that many of the people attracted to the subject, people with very materialistic and pseudoscientific outlooks, gradually drift into the study of psychic phenomena, abandoning the extraterrestrial theory along the way. 
In retrospect, flying saucers were part of responsible for the occult explosion. The most confusing feature of the phenomena is its use of allegorical situations and complicated diversions meant to cover up some of the more covert activity. Hairy monsters are seen carrying dead dogs. People assume other missing dogs provided dinner for the smelly apparition. Actually, the dogs might have served some other purpose altogether, a purpose that might turn our hair gray instantly if we knew the full details. In messages passed along to Italian contactee Eugenio Saragusa, the mischievous entities have tried to explain their volumetric logic and cosmic double talk. Dr. Jacques Vallée has called it metalogic, suggesting that the entities have a logic system quite different from ours, and when they try to translate things to our level, their statements come out absurd. He does not consider their need for deceit, uh, which is based upon their urge to manipulate us through beliefs and what the British call acceptances. Once Woodrow Derenberger accepted Indrid Cold's existence and the existence of Lanulos, his view of reality, that's like the place where Indrid Cold was from, his view mm-hmm. of reality can be manipulated to include those beings in places. In March 1967, an astonishing UFO attack took place in West Virginia, apparently supporting the vampiric theories I was entertaining at the time. While other UFO investigators have been collecting endless descriptions of things seen in the sky, I was out examining dead animals in a remote field, pondering the real meaning behind the bloodless carcasses. On the night of March 5th, a Red Cross bloodmobile was traveling along the uh, Route 2, which runs parallel to the Ohio River. Bo Schertzer, 21, and a young nurse had been out all day collecting human blood, and now they were heading back to Huntington, West Virginia, with a van filled with flat, fresh blood. The road was dark and cold, and there was very little traffic. As they moved along a particularly deserted stretch... There was a flash in the woods on a nearby hill, and a large white glow appeared. It rose slowly into the air and flew straight for their vehicle. My God, what is it? The nurse cried. I'm not going to stick around to find out, Schertzer answered, pushing his foot down on the gas. The object (laughs) effortlessly swooped over the van and stayed with it. Schertzer rolled down his window and looked up. He was horrified to see some kind of arm or extension being lowered from the luminous thing cruising only a few feet above the bloodmobile. It's trying to get us, the nurse yelled, watching the other arm reach down uh, on her side. It looked as if the flying object was trying to wrap a pincer-like device around the vehicle. Searcher poured on the horses, but the object kept pace with them easily. Apparently, they were saved by the sudden appearance of headlights from approaching traffic. As the other cars neared, the object retracted the arms and hastily flew off. Both young people rushed to the police in a state of hysteria. The incident was mentioned mentioned briefly on the radio uh, newscast that night, but was not picked up by the newspapers. In cases like this, we have to ask, did the UFO really intend to carry off the bloodmobile? Or was it all a sham to quote-unquote prove the UFO's interest in blood? Later, I had to check it to find out if any blood mobiles actually vanished anywhere. The Red Cross thought I was a bit nuts. <laughs> uh, huh. Okay. Yes. Well. Uh, so, there you go. Blood. That sa- yeah, yeah, they want blood. They want blood. Uh, they want blood. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so... Another th- thing from the Mothman Prophecies that I thought was a little bit interesting was the uh pizza gatey a uh, little pizza gatey thing uh that john keel uh pointed out uh oh, really? he said uh yeah a little bit of pizza gatey vibes uh he says sometimes in late october 1966 mr leonard quote shy elmore 72 duncan falls ohio was taking a stroll around 4 a.m when he encountered a strange building which frightened him badly uh yes uh like many elderly people mr elmore does not sleep well and often takes long walks late at night on this particular morning, he was walking along a road two blocks from his home when he saw a strange L-shaped building that looked like a galvanized iron shed sitting in the middle of a large field. Since he never noticed this quote-unquote shed before, he walked closer to take a better look. Something about it frightened him. Later, he could not explain why it had scared him, and he turned and started to hurry away. Although it was dark and he could see no windows or doors in the shed, 
He claims he distinctly heard a normal uh, male voice come from it. Don't run. Don't run, the voice called. I didn't exactly run, Mr. Elmore told me, but I walked pretty fast. He hurried home and got his <laughs> rifle and returned to the site. To his astonishment, the shed was gone. This incident upset him very much, and according to his wife, he was a nervous wreck for several days afterwards. I mean, so would I. Uh, don't run, don't run. Anyway, he decided to call the sheriff and report what he'd seen. The sheriff promised to come out and take a look, but never did. Mr. Elmore told me his story in a direct manner without embellishments or wandering speculations. No men in black came around to bother uh, Mr. Elmore. I was the first reporter to talk to him. When he showed me the field, I was perturbed to find that it was right next to the Duncan Falls Elementary School. An unusual number of sightings and 14 events seemed to be con concentrated around schools, and the largest percentage of witnesses consists of children between the ages of 7 and 18. Another statistical oddity is that the majority of adults who claim their autos were pursued by UFOs or monsters or school teachers, especially teachers specializing in abnormal children, the very bright or the mentally deficient. This is why I was so interested in the West Virginia quote-unquote census takers, you know, MIBs, who are mainly concerned with the numbers <laughs> and ages of children living in the Ohio Valley. Uh oh Oh, okay. Get out of my... So, yeah, uh, get off my porch, child protective uh, services. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, yeah, anyway, that's yeah, it's very motley indeed. Um, hmm. Yeah, just a lot, of, a lot of stuff of that, of that nature. Uh, a lot of uh, interesting tidbits happening here in the the Mothman uh, universe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it could yeah. have been green berets with jetpacks and like reflective coats, and uh, I don't yeah, know if they I would guess. have had I infrared mean... goggles that would look that that jumped out at me immediately. At least nowadays, like with night vision goggles and stuff, like if you had like say your your parachute got caught in a tree, or maybe you had a jetpack with like wings on it, like maybe that was just, or maybe it was just stylistic, so you look like, you know, a supervillain or something, and you're flying around, and you got these like red eyeballs, and isn't that, it, it, isn't there like a Marvel superhero, like Captain America's sidekick, who basically kind of looks like Mothman, but he's like a robot Mothman? Does he look like Mothman? Uh, I don't know, maybe you mean the Falcon? Uh... Might be the Falcon. It's like they have little red dot kind of eyes, you know, on their helmet that kind of look like, unless I'm thinking of something else, but... I feel so, like it, I kind of know what you're talking about, uh, but I don't... Red, little red dots in their helmet that are, like, eyes. I feel like I, I'm getting a vague idea of what you're talking about, but, like, um, yeah, I don't know. I can't quite uh, picture it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there is something like that. Uh, there was a sighting of, like, a, a caped man uh that like just uh randomly uh like appeared during this uh whole flap uh at one point he was just like a, mm -hmm. a guy wearing a cape this guy uh or i guess this woman uh two days after tiny the pop-eyed missing heirs investigator invaded cape may mothman the pop-eyed pterodactyl visited tiny's restaurant in point pleasant at 5 p.m. on January 11, 1967, Mrs. Mabel McDaniel was walking near the drive-in restaurant when she saw an object soaring down Route 62. I thought it was an airplane, then I realized it was flying much too low, she said. She had been living with Mothman witnesses for two months, but never expected to see the critter herself. Nor did she want to. Knowing she was psychologically prepared to, maybe even hallucinate exciting, I interviewed her very carefully afterward. Her story held up. This was a real sighting. She froze in her tracks, seriously believing her eyes. I thought I could see two legs, like men's legs, hanging down from it. It circled low over Tiny's, then flew off. She could not see any head or neck. The wings were motionless, and it was completely silent. In a way, it sounded almost like a hang glider. 
but hang gliding was almost a completely unknown sport in 1967. Mrs. McDaniel was nervous and excited afterwards, but suffered no ill effects. Gwendolyn Martino and her daughter returned from Europe in January uh, and visited the Christiansons a few days after Tiny rode off in his darkened Cadillac. At 3 a.m. on January 13, 1967, Gwen and Connie, who were sharing a room, were awakened by a loud sound seeming to come from directly overhead. The sounds were distant at first, like someone hammering on metal with a rubber mallet or possibly walking over a metal surface. The noises grew steadily louder until they were deafening. The whole house seemed to shake, Gwen said. When she started to get up to investigate, the sound stopped instantly. As soon as she was back in bed, they began again. The two women debated whether they should wake up Ed Christensen, a heavy sleeper. Gwen started to get out of bed again, and then the noises stopped. Finally, they faded away. Two evenings later, Mr. and Mrs. Christensen returned home to find their children in a very distraught state. They had heard the strange hammering sound again, followed by heavy footsteps crunching through the thick snow outside the house. Connie's 19-year-old boyfriend was present, and he had looked out the window in time to see a tall figure hurrying away from the house. It looked like he was wearing a long, white cape, and when it reached a five-foot-high fence, it leaped effortlessly over it and disappeared into the other side. The next uh, morning, Ed Christensen examined the area for footprints. He found a set of large human tracks embedded in the snow, leading to the fence and continuing on the other side. These footprints went on to another building some distance away and stopped abruptly at the wall of another structure. There were no footprints around the building, an old abandoned shed. The witnesses were puzzled as to where the person could have gone. Like our hairy monsters, little green Martians and Mothman, the caved intruder had vanished into nothingness. Well, you know. Wow. Okay. Capes. Uh, yeah, capes. Yeah. Exactly. Cape um, shit. Yeah, it was it was the original literally cape, cape shit. shit. The original cape <laughs> shit. Yeah, that's kind of like a Spring Hill Jack type story. I mean, like, yeah, I think that one of the more compelling things is that like the stuff goes back like a ways. You know, that is very similar to Spring Hill Jack story. That's one of the ones that seems most like it could have been like some kind of paratrooper or a guy with a jetpack or something. But mm-hmm. like stories like that, that is very very similar to a Spring Hill Jack story, and that kind of stuff is like you know all the way like back in the Victorian period. Uh, people had like yeah. encounters. So. I don't know if you could strictly say. Like, I think there might be some aspect uh, of that to it. Like, it's possible. One thing that did jump out at me is that uh, the MIBs were often reported to be wearing ripple-soled shoes, which I think, like, paratroopers do wear. Like, or were developed hmm. for paratrooper use, ripple-soled shoes. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to make of, of, of that connection. But uh, it's all it's all pretty mothly. Um, <laughs> it is yeah, that's, incredibly uh, mothly. And... Yeah. stuff also in um what's it called uh you know uh messengers of deception but i almost think we should do like you know a more uh, thorough episode on that book uh but yeah, uh, yeah. this one I, thing i did uh, uh this one thing i did want to mention there's a part in the book where uh he talks about like uh you know uh paranoia like within the government and things like that uh mm-hmm. and he makes this allusion to uh the idea that you know i think he says something about like general macarthur's like interest in uh the phenomenon uh or in 
in UFOs. And uh, he said, like, something that, uh, let me see if I can actually find this uh, reference. I think I took the page down. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's on page 131. Uh, Yeah, my note is, General MacArthur warning of interplanetary war, because apparently that's that's, uh, what he did. This is what Sean Keogh wrote. The U.S. government is being taken over by the space people. This rumor spread throughout the country in 1967, an updated version of the old devil theory. Actually got its start in 1941 when James V. Forrestal, the Bruin Secretary of Defense in the Truman Cabinet, went bananas and raced through the corridors of the Pentagon screaming, We're being invaded and we can't stop them! He <laughs> what? was convinced that his phones were, You didn't hear... You never heard about this guy? Uh, this is Jan- actually like a possibly a good episode. A Forrestal? Uh, James V. Forrestal, yeah. Uh, actually, was he the one that had a mental breakdown? Yeah. He oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah, so, yeah, he was convinced his phone was being tapped as a menorah's conspiracy was underway. Soon after he was placed in a hospital, he leaped out a window to his death. While the press That's blamed funny. his paranoia on the tensions of the Cold War, the UFO enthusiast knew better. Air Force intelligence that compiled a top-secret estimate of the situation following the UFO investigations in 1947-48. to 48. Their conclusion, according to the late Captain Edward Ruppelt, was that flying saucers were extraterrestrial. Forrestal, so the story went, was one of the few to read that report before Air Force Chief of Staff Hoyt Vandenberg ordered all copies destroyed. And it blew his mind. So I don't know about that. But he did say two other top military men, General George C. Marshall and General Douglas MacArthur, were obsessed with the flying saucer phenomenon. MacArthur made several public statements declaring that the next war would be fought against, quote, evil beings from outer space. A fabled think tank, the Rand Corporation, was assigned to feed UFO data into a computer and fight an imaginary war with those evil beings. Since we wouldn't know where they were from, what their technology was, or how to attack their bases, the computer advises to surrender. So that part about the Rand Corporation, I couldn't find any proof that that was true. Okay. But I couldn't find anything really about George C. Marshall being upset, except for like maybe some like Majestic 12 documents. Or you mean MacArthur, probably... right? Yeah, MacArthur. Like, well, no, George C. Marshall, I couldn't. Oh, but George... MacArthur, I did oh, look okay. up. And I found uh, it was debunked on uh, <laughs> Snopes. Oh, but in okay. a way where, uh, once again, something where uh, a very glaring, probably the most glaring example of this that I ever, uh, that I've encountered, even worse than like, you know, uh, Bill Gates's COVID uh, war game didn't predict COVID. You know, uh, it says, the general Douglas yeah. author predicted interplanetary war. Again, using the word predict. The World yeah. War II icon alluded to the possibility that mankind might someday face an extraterrestrial foe. So, claim. During a 1955 speech at West Point, General Douglas author told assembled cadets, the next war will be an interplanetary war. The nations of the Earth must someday make a common front against attack by people from other planets. Rating false okay so then in the the body of the article yeah is what they actually have they say however general did not deliver a speech at west point that year nor is there any record of his specifically stating an opinion that the next war would be an interplanetary one the confusion started with comments reportedly made by macarthur when he was paid a private visit at his residence in new york's waldorf astoria hotel by the mayor of naples at chile laro in october 1955 the following day, Mayor Lauro relayed the gist of their 45-minute conversation to the press, maintaining MacArthur expressed the belief that someday, the people of Earth, perhaps as far as a thousand years in the future, the people of Earth might find themselves facing an extraterrestrial confrontation. General MacArthur described himself, this is the quote from the article uh, that they're mm-hmm. referring to, General MacArthur described himself as a confirmed optimist regarding the possibility of another world war, Mayor Lauro said. He thinks another war would be double suicide, and there is enough sense on both sides of the Iron Curtain to avoid it, the mayor went on. He believes that because of the developments of science, all the countries on Earth will have to unite to survive and to make a common front against attack by people from other planets. The politics of the future will be cosmic inter- or interplanetary, in General MacArthur's opinion, the mayor continued. He quoted the military leader as saying that a thousand years from now, today's civilization would appear as obsolete as the Stone Age. So, for one, they, like, Snopes completely, like, misinterpreted that. 
Like, that yeah. statement about the civilization being obsolete, like, a thousand years from now, uh-huh. has nothing to do with the idea of the interplanetary war. And the substance of what he said, according to this guy, is exactly... He pretty like much said that. that. Yeah. Like, yeah, and, like, of course, yeah, but because he didn't like, literally say it in front of, like, an audience of West Point cadets, yeah. like, and at it, high like, noon. Like, it literally gets worse because mm. several years later, on May 12, 1962, so it's literally about the date, MacArthur delivered yeah. a speech to the cadets at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point <laughs> on the occasion of receiving the Sylvanus Award, <laughs> during which he once again alludes to the possibility that mankind might someday face an extraterrestrial foe. All these remarks, like, are actually kind of crazy, like, uh, wow. on, on their own. So he says, we deal now not with things in this world alone, but with this is like more insane than the alleged quote that like I guess is debunked. We deal now not with things of this world alone, but with the illimitable distances as yet unfathomed mysteries of the universe. We are reaching out for a new and boundless frontier. We speak in strange terms of harnessing the cosmic energy, of making winds and tides work for us, of creating unheard of synthetic materials to supplement or even replace our old standard basics, to purify seawater for our drink of mining ocean floors for new fields of wealth and food, of disease preventatives to expand life into the hundreds of years, of controlling the weather for a more equitable distribution of heat and cold, of rain and shine, of spaceships to the moon, of the primary target in war no longer limited to the armed forces of an enemy, but instead to include his civil populations. First of all, like, I love Wait, how this what? just before... Before we even get to the UFO stuff, which yeah. does come after this, like yeah. I love how this like this like you know beautiful romantic like fantasy uh-huh. about like how no more hunger, you know, like yeah, and we'll no more civilian military and distinction, like, and yeah, and then we'll be able to just blast civilians at will. But anyway, yeah. yeah so then he does immediately say after that, oh, ultimate conflict between a united human race and the sinister forces of some other planetary galaxy of such wow. dreams and fantasies as to make the mo- life the most exciting of all times. So, he... yeah, this is, their, this is their conclusion. So General Douglas MacArthur did suggest a notion of eventual interplanetary war on at least a couple of occasions. One of them was in 1955, and one of them was during a speech in West Point, but, like, not both. Uh, <laughs> so, oh. reading, reading, false. Oh, like, wow. And the thing is, like, do they not have, like, they used to at one point, I believe, have ratings that were like a gradation true. somewhat yeah. true kind somewhat, of true yeah. no nope. like, it's like, you either get five pinocchios or zero pinocchios that, yeah that's it uh so like wow that's the i got worst pinocchio hard but i assume seen. that they wouldn't literally be like yeah he did give a speech about alien civilizations at west point but like on this technicality literally it was like he said it in 1955 and he said it at west point but not but like at both at the same time uh, that was yeah, like their thing. So yeah, like uh, the, the substance bunks. of um, yeah, the fact that huge, it did this enormous red X, like oh false. My God. Like, you know, wow, um, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, but anyway, so uh, but that's interesting. Yeah. That's something to like, you know. Uh, um, yeah, file that one away uh, under X, I guess. But yeah, I mean, uh, I guess Ronald. Re- I didn't. Ronald Reagan pretty much just like you know plagiarized him thirty years. Yeah, later. pretty much. Or uh, well, yeah. I guess the psyop goes on, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Like, uh, yeah, like, where are they getting this idea from? Like, why are they so obsessed with it? Like, you know, I guess, like, it is in movies, but I think it was in their minds before. Like, it was in someone's mind before it was in movies, obviously. I guess there's a day of the year that's still and stuff like that, you know. But Oh, yeah, yeah. That was uh, a big deal. That was a big deal. Yeah, that's uh, a it's huge one of my dad's psyop. favorite movies. Uh, it really, uh, yeah. psy- I guess it psyoped him real good when he it was definitely, a kid. Definitely, yeah. It psyoped everybody. Yeah. Um, that's mm-hmm. still, like, you know, really standard idea about like how ufos are going to be like or how aliens are they're going to come down and they're going to be like you know please stop like for peace like if you watch the outer limits we mentioned 
my mm-hmm. uh, sort of embryonic, not fully developed theory that the Outer Limits itself is a giant psyop. Uh, mm. You know, but uh, in the Outer Limits, it's always like, or well, not always, but a lot of the time has to do with that. The aliens are like, please, please, <laughs> like the big, like, like weird, like, you know, makeup alien, like, uh, you know, it's yeah. like, you must learn peace like before like dying because like humans didn't understand or something you know uh uh-huh, uh-huh. every uh, time they really beat that drum hard yeah they they do yeah right and so, now they're just like they're sicko threats that like need to be like eliminated uh um, pretty much yeah well there i guess it depends on who you uh, yeah, listen, what side you're you know, on whether, yeah, yeah it's, are you on the ce5 side or are you on the you know, they're shutting down our missiles, like, you know, <laughs> uh, side. Uh, um, no, they're repelling the advancement of, like, U.S. imperialist, uh, you know, war columns, like, yeah. uh, and the DMZ. There was a certain thing. I almost did get this, like, idea of, like, you know, when that orb showed up and just started, like, advancing on them, that it was, like, it, like, emerged from behind, uh, like, uh, what's it called? Mount, uh, Mount Pikedew? Mm-hmm. You know, the mythical mountain. Right of uh the korean people and mm-hmm. like it was you know almost like that icon of like kim il-sung smiling was just like like <laughs> everywhere from everywhere you look at team it, he is following you and yes. just like they couldn't deny like the energy of uh the the cosmic juche energy that repelled mm-hmm. them <laughs> yeah so i i want to know what's uh, going on with there too why why who who what, what ufo is this uh, I always thought they kind of didn't get involved in wars, except to turn everybody's missiles off. But they were kind of like picking sides, allegedly. Yeah. Unless the Soviets uh, really did have like secret Nazi weapons they were experimenting with, uh, in which case. But I think that those people were right. Like we would have known about it. They probably wouldn't. They have you know, would both superpowers like hide this technology during the entire Cold War and not like you know build on it and like make it public at a, a certain point. Like, Gorbachev could have just been, like, uh, actually, America has, like, zero-point energy, and they've been lying to you about it, and then, like, you know, mm. yeah, history I would guess. have been totally different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you know, know. They're hiding aliens, like, you know, they, they could have, you know, done something like uh, that. Yeah, maybe, but I don't know, maybe uh, maybe there is, like, some kind of, uh, maybe there's a little bit of class solidarity between uh, these people. Maybe they realize, you know, like, uh, despite their ideals, you know, both, like, countries kind of have ideals about, like, freedom of information or whatever like or you know uplifting like the common people or something like that but they don't yeah. necessarily always <laughs> abide by that like you know so well, yeah it's, uh, it's hard it's, to, uh, it's possible yeah. i mean i don't know if uh yeah i don't know if i would indict gorby uh himself i just uh, i, I think it could have been anybody we'll it could have been fresh uh, you know it could have been anyone, yeah uh, basically to, um, you know just uh, pulling well, that card but also well, the mean, same thing about like said, uh, like you know if there's 50 people involved in, like that's if it require 50 people like you can't keep it under wraps, you know? <laughs> yeah like, no conspiracies uh, over 50 people don't exist categorically um, never uh and no, never happened well, yeah, 51 people uh, have cannot never be kept secret anything it is not no, possible it, it is not, it is not humanly have. possible for 51 people to keep anything secret uh, nobody yeah. ever conspires as a class to like further their collective interests. Uh, never, it's never ever happened um, with fifty-one or fifty-three people. Literally impossible. Yeah. Um, um, but no, yeah. obviously. Also, that, that does make me think about the moon landing, which I, I hope mm. we'll get to one day. And yes, that that certainly. is a compelling counter argument for why the moon landing is not fake. Because why would the Soviet Union go along with it? the entire time and even like to this day like why would they keep that secret 
yeah. you know, if they just mm. cheated to to quote unquote win the space race, like they didn't really win the space race, well, you think that like they, on points. Well, you but, feel like the Soviet Union would know that they cheated uh, and would not like you know they they'd have inf- intel that they hadn't cheated. Uh, I mean, I guess that would be perhaps like that. The I guess I'm I'm because operating under that cheat, assumption. Obviously, they would you know like do want to make it look to like actually cheat. Yeah, because otherwise it wouldn't be cheating. It would be well, they would I guess if they like part of cheating would have to be concealing it. You know, concealing like, as, it. Yeah, as yeah. As you could. Yeah. Yeah, you have to hide um, the steel. So, but yeah. I wonder like to what extent like how well the Soviets were able to like monitor the progress of that mission. And if they like, if they were in a position to be able to determine whether or not it was real. Yeah. Well, they they never really put people on the moon, did they? They wanted. To. No, I feel like they might have put the first unmanned probe on the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and or maybe that was Mars and Venus where they did the first probes there as well. But yeah, they never landed a person on the moon, which also strikes me as a little bit odd. Like they did have a moon landing program for a while but they 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 won so many other aspects of the firsts in the space race you know first you know dog in space first man in space first orbit first woman in space like first uh i think first maybe orbit of the moon or something like that with like a satellite and all those things and at the very end uh the u.s just comes out of nowhere and does like the most difficult one when they weren't able to beat you yeah. in like every other category, it's a little bit like, what's that all about? But then, if the Soviets, I mean, I assume they would be, they would want to like look into it if they had any kind of inkling that it was fake. They would want to know, like for sure. And the fact that they didn't see would seem to lend credence to the fact that, okay, I guess they actually did it. But then maybe one can't be so sure. Like maybe. If there was another reason, that would be very fascinating where they just also I mean, the same thing with like the Kennedy assassination and all the assassinations. I think at one point, like Khrushchev did say, like he published articles that were like, this is a conspiracy, like the right wing of the political power structure and like a bunch of billionaires and the CIA and anti-Castro Cubans all like, I don't know exactly how they did it, but they definitely did it. And they were trying to like blame him as a Oswald as a Marxist to blame it on us, which is bullshit. So he did kind of clap back a little bit with that, but then I don't know, he was out of power a year later. And then I guess, uh, I, I don't know, like maybe that was just a common thing. Like Soviets talked about was like, well, obviously like the capitalists, like, you know, murdered all their leaders and like it sucks and stuff. But I don't know. I feel like that if you're going to psyop, you know, the Americans and like, you know, undercut like reaganism like man you really should have amped up the conspiracy theory you know uh, like hit that conspiracy spread spread disinformatia button uh but it's really actually spreading informatia button in crisis in the kremlin you know and just keep mashing that button every turn yeah there is i kind of <laughs> i read these uh two things i read messengers of deception i mean there's like there's a lot in between these two books you know there's a lot to cover even in the mothman prophecies so it might have been, like, uh, overambitious to, uh, you know, think we would get to a lot of Messengers of Deception uh, by Jacques Vallée uh, in this episode, especially since it's not uh, directly moth-related, really, uh, and more mm-hmm. just, like, UFO stuff. But, you know, there's a there's a lot of good stuff in there, and there is one other, uh, like, uh, I think that it, well, well, because I read them back-to-back, I'm not sure. Maybe it was in uh, The Moth Prophecies, but one of them, like, really emphasized that, like, Sputnik, like, shattered... Uh, actually, you know what? I think that it was in the outline for John Keel and Ivan Sanderson's like failed 
book project together. Hmm. Um, you wow. know, so I'm not sure, but uh, it was like Sputnik destroyed like traditional religious belief. Like it was no longer possible <laughs> to like believe in like you know God or anything like that. Uh, you know, once Sputnik happens. Uh, so, Wait, so like, they least... literally felt like that, like, Soviet meme poster of, like, the astronaut flying around saying, Bush and yet. Yeah. Like, they actually yeah, felt they that. It was like, that no. was true. Yeah, they were like, God damn it. Like, it's true. It's true. It's true. There were no angels um, up there. There's no firmament. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. I guess yeah. it did. They always do talk about, like, the existential terror that, like, the American kind of, like, scientific and political establishment felt when Sputnik happened of like, oh my God, like those barbaric, like commie Russians. Yeah. Like, how did they do this? Like yeah, this they've, is... they've penetrated heaven. There's oh my they God. penetrated they're heaven. Like, they, yeah, like they, yeah. uh, they assault, they sexually assaulted heaven. Uh, yeah, it was violated, but yeah, of course, uh, yeah, we <laughs> know that, uh, that is just, you know, space, it's a lower sphere, it's not really the heavens, um, and the stars are still lamps Obvi. that are repelling the bad jinn, uh, <laughs> keeping them in check. Well, and, we'll, uh, we'll need it, because... safe, yeah. I mean, um, uh, it, go, it almost goes without saying that Mothman obviously could have been a jinn. Uh, yeah, he definitely could have been a jinn, that's definitely true. He kind of, actually, uh... There is, well, hold on, maybe this, uh, yeah, I actually did just find this, uh, there's chat, like, there's a whole historical thing that they, he and Ivan Sanderson have, Keel and Ivan Sanderson, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a, uh, the, sort of, their book is, uh, chronologically ordered, and, uh, chapter 10 is called The Shock, A.D. 1958 to 1962, <laughs> the first Sputnik debunks half the believers, science wow. goes slightly <laughs> balmy, the technicians roar, pseudoscience, the psychologists get in the act, uh, man's whole outlook was changed by the first Sputnik. Moon watches become, uh, bring a rash of UA reports. Orthodoxy gets vicious. The press bows out. Uh, you know, so basically, yeah, like, uh, there, I think there might have been some other, uh, thing, uh, later, but they basically, like, were saying that, uh, yeah, like, it was, uh, the absolute crisis, like, when Sputnik happens, like, it was, I think that at one point they really did say, like, traditional religion, was no longer possible, like, in uh, those terms, but, like, It's kind yeah, of a funny like, uh, belief that, in retrospect, that, like, that's what did it, just, like, getting a person, well, like, yeah, into John space. Yeah, John did I mean, say at one point, like, I have always been an atheist, so I feel like he didn't have much, like, stake in it, hmm, uh, either. Okay. Um, so, uh, if anything, maybe uh, there's a, a part of him, of course, he probably couldn't admit it, because you're not allowed to, like, cheer for, like, the Soviet triumph uh, in, yeah. you know, science, but, like, it, it, there's a part of him that was, like, like, if there's anything that, I don't know, edgy American atheists, you know, would love about, like, the Soviet Union, it's, like, when they're being edgy atheists, like, that, well, it's, yeah. like, well, at least True. they're going to, the like, debunk God. about the Soviet Union, because, like, but, uh, of course, like, you know, really you would be an anarchist, uh, um, like, you know, because you get everything without, mm -hmm. you know, anything actually ever uh, being achieved. I know, Spanish Civil yeah. War, it's, it's for three days there was anarchy. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, Whereas in reality, really, um, you know, uh, the, the, the poor treatment of religion is literally the only bad thing about the Soviet Union. Um, everything um, else is great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> everything uh, else is wonderful. Uh, 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 it's on yeah. the right track, you know, so mm, only, um, mm, but, uh, uh, I mean, maybe a couple yeah, other well, things. Yeah, well, maybe the only uh, uh, thing ever <laughs> no, that was No, maybe a couple other things. No, there's things to critique, but, uh, but yeah, it is kind of funny that, like, that... And that's the thing that kind of hasn't borne itself out, even in this, like, great secular age of, like, uh, 
crass materialism or whatever and scientism is like the 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 long march of atheism through all of the institutions uh nope we're talking about mothman so yeah i'd uh, say that uh, atheism is not the idea the ideological victory is not one for atheism it definitely uh, is not one uh yeah there are a lot of like skeptical inquirer like it was a sandhill crane article out there uh and they are not uh compelling and everyone like you know I mean, there's an appeal. Everyone wa- like uh, wants that we want to believe in Mothman, uh, you know, for whatever reason. Like, I am gonna go on. I'm gonna err on the side of Jin for for two reasons. For uh, you know, maybe ancillarily, uh, maybe not for two reasons. Uh, maybe for okay. one sort of reason, uh, partially for Snopes saying that the General MacArthur thing was false. Uh, like, uh, you know, taking it really with, with that, uh, yeah. yeah, a little bit making me think uh, there's something to it, and also a Matt Christman trying to shitcoat it with like some vague. <laughs> <laughs> LSD theory uh, is also making me think that Mothman is a real gin and he's out there. Uh-huh. Um, and, like it was just uh, a bit by the CIA or something, you know? Yeah, it's actually, it's like really it. funny because, like, uh, John, well, I don't know if he invented it, but he pioneered uh, the LOL I'm CIA thing. Because, like, in all of his letters, like, he's always making jokes about how, like, I mean, after all, I am a CIA extraterrestrial, like, you know, to, like, a wow. stuff. Wow. Oh, and, okay. like, you know, okay. uh, yeah, he, Interesting. Uh, can, yeah, uh, he definitely uh, pioneered the LOL CIA thing. I mean, apparently the UFO community, as you would imagine, is, like, very much, like, tanky Twitter, where everyone is always accusing each other of being, like, uh, a cop, like, or, a you cop, know, yeah, uh, or, an, or, yeah, or an alien, fed. a cop, or alien, alien, fed, uh-huh. or all three, exactly. you know, so that he definitely uh, was on the LL on CIA tip. Interesting. Uh, all the men in black are kind of all the men in black and the MIBs are basically LOM CIA, except in some cases, like there's no LOL part. It's just like I'm CIA. Like, yeah, you know I mean? like, <laughs> yeah. But you can't trust um, anything. Um, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, there is one thing just relative to what you were saying. This is one messenger's deception thing that is back in the Major Murphy stuff that I think is uh, interesting. So uh, Major Murphy says to Jacques Vallée. Uh, you need to face all the possibilities. You have to draw the consequences. Someone may have solved the problem that is the UFO problem. Perhaps there is an elegant solution to multidimensional travel, and it is being applied. I am not a physicist. You should ask your theoretician friends what they think. I can only tell you that silent disc-taped flying machines can be built. If they are equipped with the right devices, they can create astonishing effects and be reported as flying saucers. I wish I still had my files in the German experiments. Suppositions, I thought. Assumptions. We're going to need more than that to explain the UFO problem. Major, I can't believe that some Nazi group had managed to survive secretly with this kind of technology and its power. Who says anything about the Nazis? I am suggesting that other groups have become involved. Germany was simply a little ahead of other people. You have V2s in 1944, you have the Atlas rocket in the 60s, you have Foo Fighters in 43, and the green fireballs of New Mexico nine years later. A lot of people got involved. Industrial concerns, laboratories engaged in psychotronic research, the Nazi research on microwaves was child's play compared to the sophistication of modern experiments. If someone was using this technology, we can assume they have also mastered pharmacology, the use of drugs to distort the memories of witnesses, the use of mind control to suggest stories or to plant fake observations. Don't you think people should try to get some information about that before believing in friendly space visitors? It's hard to believe that these techniques, uh, this is what Jack Foley says, it's hard Mm -hmm. to believe these techniques would already be applied in this kind of scale, I said. Don't you read the newspapers? Don't you follow publications on mind control? The military has been using this kind of technique for years. He pulled out a file series of New York Times clippings beginning in 1977. It described part of a U.S. project which spanned 35 years and involved hypnosis, narcoanalysis, electronic brain stimulation, and the behavioral effects of every physical vibration known to science, from ultrasound to microwaves. 
he showed me a book entitled Operation Mind Control, in which W.H. Bauer describes yep. his meeting with a young man who had just returned from a tour of duty with the Air Force. He suffered from amnesia. Like many UFO contactees, he remembered vaguely that he had had a good time, but couldn't describe in detail where he had been. After many therapy sessions, he began to recall part of his activities. He had served, it seemed, on a military committee in Vietnam. He had dreams in which he was standing at a long table on a beach, with communist officers on one side and Americans on the other. Although the discussion was heated, nothing was written down. His assignment was to remember everything that was said. He had been trained for total recall, then his entire memory of his assignments was erased like a magnetic cassette. Wow. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I do remember reading that in Operation Mind Control. Yeah, that that and that goes back to we we really Maybe should. Maybe they were uh, talking about how to collaborate on the UFO issue. Uh, oh and my that's god, what, that was the heat of the discussion. Uh, well, there were there uh, were a lot they were, they a were lot discussing of uh, the moths the Mothman problem, and that's why they're getting so fired up. Let's like, <laughs> do something about these moths. Uh, someone saw a ghost in their bedroom. Um, but yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, but, there yeah. are, uh, going back to George Estabrooks, the, uh, psychologist who, uh, was a hypnosis expert in World War II. He claimed he could do that to people by the late forties at the latest, uh, probably during World War II is when he started to pioneer this idea of like embedding, hypnotizing somebody, embedding classified information, and then kind of erasing it and then bringing them out of a hypnotic trance and they have no memory of what they did. So even if you torture them, whatever, uh, you basically, they, would, they wouldn't they would be able to uh, divulge any information. So that's been floating around for a while. So yeah. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Lots to dive deeper into. But yeah. uh, we leave it there yeah. for now. Can't say... Yeah. Uh, as long as there's disasters in this world, there there may be Mothman to yes. Warn uh, us. Uh, this is a this is one last very good Jacques Vallée tidbit. I guess he. Uh, but again, I think we should uh, spend some more time with this book. But one uh, good yeah yeah I agree I agree he. Uh, he was like was interested in this group by uh, the order of Melchizedek. Uh, I think he actually talks about Urantia in this book a little bit. Mm. Um, and uh, he was very into this uh, order of Melchizedek uh, or Melchizedek uh, group. He uh, took a cab, and he experienced a strange synchronicity where his cab driver's last name was Melchizedek. And he mm. looked it up in the phone book, and there was only one person with that name, like you know, in the whole city. And he was like, oh, "Wow, is this weird synchronicity?" Uh, and uh, he concluded, or well, he suggested that. Uh, if there is no time dimension, as we usually assume there is, we may be traversing events by association. Modern computers retrieve information associatively. You evoke the desired records by using keywords, words of power. You request the intersection of microwave and headache, and you find 20 articles you never suspected existed. Perhaps I had unconsciously posted a request in some psychic bulletin board with the word Melchizedek. If we live in the associative <laughs> universe of the software scientists, rather than the sequential universe of the space-time physicists, then miracles are no longer irrational events. The philosophy we could we w could derive would be closer to Islamic occasionalism than Ooh. to the Cartesian or Newtonian universe. And oh. a new theory uh, that's king shit. Uh, I mean, I know he's a spook okay. up, he's got problems, oh. but uh, good good take. Um, no, I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know about this, but like Islamic occasionalism app when? Uh, uh, I would I'm love ready. to do that. That's I'm a ready super. For it. Yeah, I mean, that's basically <laughs> like Ibn Arabi. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, you know, uh, it's, like, kind of, like, the idea that, like, when you light a match, like, the idea there's, like, no secondary causality, kind of. Like, it's all, God only has certain habits, uh, you know, okay. so nothing, act like, uh, and everything that happens, like, there's no, like, 
natural laws per there's se. No there's no hard habits. laws of physics or yeah, things exactly. Like that. It's like, just okay, like what God's gotcha. habits are. So like if you gotcha. strike a match and you like light a piece of paper on fire, like the paper burns because God like is deciding to have the paper burn. Like the mm. fire isn't the cause because there's no secondary causality. Uh, that's like gotcha. you know everything is made up of these units of of time but uh yeah we can do a better uh, uh rundown of it uh later on <laughs> yeah. but uh but he says such a theory might have interesting things to say about communications with the denizens of other physical realities i agree and in conclusion mothman is a gin um <laughs> yeah uh, uh yeah end winged, quote winged gin yeah yeah uh end quote yeah um well uh, I think yeah there we go there um, we go folks um i think about as yeah. well as we watch we out diagnose for it. Th- yeah, watch out for the flutter of wings. Uh, beware. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Look him in the eye. Yeah, watch the skies. Uh, yeah, wa- keep watch your the... eyes fixed oh, on the skies. skies. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> More yeah. than ever. And, you know, don't look into his hypnotic eyes because he's either a djinn or a green beret who's probably yeah, a psychopathically programmed to kill maniac yeah. who's going to shoot up a bowling alley. So be careful. Yeah, we're going to do dogmen like, you know, in the near future, we're going to do dogmen. <laughs> uh, I think dogmen's yeah. moment is coming. That's another thing about dogmen is that on at least on dogman encounters radio like all the eyewitnesses are always saying like do not look dogman in the eye mm. it will like traumatize you it will haunt your dreams like you'll never <laughs> forget it like you know that's like that's the worst scary. mistake you can make well wow. well there's two yeah the, the two worst mistakes you can make is shooting dogman because that'll just make him angry and okay looking him in the eye uh because that will like haunt your nightmares and destroy your life um Oof. all right yeah. Well, uh yeah be careful um, out there in the woods y'all yeah, definitely be careful in the woods, especially Appalachia, anywhere around there. But I guess Long mm-hmm. Island too. So you never, yep. you're never safe. You're never safe. Mothman's nope. visit to Long Island is still, uh, still anticipated. Or Russia uh, or China. Yeah, or, yeah, pretty wherever, much anywhere. Wherever He's there everywhere. are disasters, yeah, wherever, or yeah. Well, I downtown Manhattan. See, we can definitely expect to see him like hovering over Hillary's uh, gallows uh, when she finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there's gonna be like a, a photo of like Bill Clinton being executed by firing squad. There's gonna be like this strange like mothly figure in the background, like uh, <laughs> looking over. Photo bombing. Scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. Something to look um, forward to. In yeah, something to look forward um, to. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any day now. Right. Um, the transmissions will be disrupted uh, when uh, false President Joe Biden is gonna be lighting up the Christmas tree. All the lights are going to go off uh, at that very moment, and transmissions and will all be And he will, he will know then it was a mistake. Yeah. It, to it, test yeah. the, to test the Mothman. Yeah, it's definitely a mistake. Yeah, I would, I wouldn't provoke him. Yeah. Um, it if, will be a severe like, punishment for the U.S. imperialists who violated the sovereignty some, of his astral plane. Yeah, if some random uh, dude like with a monotone voice comes to your door and like flashes a vague badge uh that uh like has a bunch of swivel like scribble scrabble on it uh it doesn't seem to be associated with any known agency like probably best like to try to turn that guy away like and yeah, not uh, have yeah. an interview with him but don't uh, let them inside you know, yeah be right. safe don't, and uh yeah it's probably like an abandoned tnt area like not the best like place to like hang out like you know uh to, like with your girlfriend or like whatever you know or like shoot arrows or what <laughs> like you know uh probably whatever like sounds is. a little bit dangerous but you know whatever uh like, live your life you know 
Uh, Live your life. If that's what you yeah. want to do. But, you know, don't come crying to me when you get chased <laughs> at 100 miles an hour by uh, a screeching gin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, yeah, word. so until next time, dear listeners, keep your eyes fixed on the sky. Stay vigilant. Peace. Thank you.